This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side. Happy Tuesday morning following Labor Day. And I feel like I went through labor. My legs are killing me. Not that that's how you labor. Uh, Great weekend. And, you know, now you got to get back to work. You can't just play around all day. You could. You could, but you'd probably. You have that choice. You'd probably lose your job. You know. Top of the morning to you. This is a uh, this is this is a big day. We have a wonderful guest coming on in a few minutes. About uh, he's the author of the book "The Making of Donald Trump," and many would wonder why would you want to know that? Because we hear all of these stories. We've and we've known about Hillary Clinton for thirty plus years, right? We've every kind of what do you want to call it. Uh, Every kind of conspiracy. She's a known commodity. Yes. She's been there. She's in the White House. She's Secretary of State. We knew about her when she wasn't in the White House, right. you know, running for Senate in New York. And we, we heard that she doesn't like the press. We've heard that for 30 plus years. She finally spoke to the press on her plane. We've read her yeah. emails. We've read pretty much 30,000 of her emails plus another 15,000 coming in now. And... So I I figure, you know, we know a lot about Hillary Clinton, but we don't know a lot about the history of the Donster. We don't know much about his dad necessarily, and we do. Some people do that have been studying. Come on. Got a big election. Have you been doing your homework? So we're going to bring in – how about a a Pulitzer Prize-winning author and investigative reporter who has been following Donald for 20-plus years? Sounds good. He knows his entire history. Probably even knows his blood type. David C. Johnson will be Johnston will be joining us, and he's going to uh, talk about the making of Donald Trump, just to give you the information you need. And uh, boy, apparently, breaking news on CNN. Did you see this? No. Nine weeks out, a near even race. Trump talks oh, yeah, yeah, Clinton yeah. forty five to forty three percent in a new CNN ORC poll. What? Now that none of that may matter. Uh, when it comes down to the battleground states. But I guess nationally. Did you see the Washington Post poll where they went state by state to figure out? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, it just came back that Trump's got a big hill to climb. Does he? The last Fox poll shows I'm going to beat her. I'm going to beat her so easily. I haven't even started on her yet. Yeah, so wow. There you go. When you say he's got a big hill to climb, just in, you didn't in, mean in, Hillary. Well, no, but specific uh, uh, states where... This is all going to be decided. Yeah, he's all the looking at the electoral votes, and he uh, he's not polling well in many different areas, especially with college-educated people. Mm. Well, we'll get to all of this fun. We'll get to the Trump date you've been waiting for, plus some of the latest and greatest headlines, and an update on Jeff's trip to Comic-Con. It was wild. You met a lot of people, and you were dressed as— uh, I was dressed as Jeff Simpson. Oh. Is that disappointing? No, I mean, I just thought you, I thought you were going to go as Harley Quinn. There were about 100 others, at least. Were there a lot so of Harley Quinns that there? That was the number one costume that I saw, Harley Quinn. Well, that's, the, yeah, and there's not a lot to that costume, I bet. No. Okay, yeah. 
Enough said there. So let's uh, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Caitlin. Thanks, Matt. Speaking from the G20 summit, President Obama said he believes 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick is exercising his constitutional right not to stand during the national anthem at NFL games. Kaepernick has drawn both ire and admiration for his display days ago in San Diego. Kaepernick has said he'll continue to sit or kneel during the song until significant change is made in the fight against racial inequality. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump enter the post-Labor Day stretch of the election season by spending the holiday courting Ohio voters. Trump spoke with union members in Cleveland and later campaigned at a fair in Youngstown. No Republican has won the White House without taking Ohio. And Trump has notably struggled in the polls in a number of battleground states. Clinton, whose post-convention lead on Trump has been cut in half, according to a new CNN poll, attended a Labor Day festival in Cleveland and visited labor leaders in Hampton, Illinois. The Real Clear Politics average shows Clinton with a lead on Trump at 43.8% to 40% in Ohio. Now considered a post-tropical cyclone, the storm that drenched the Atlantic seaboard throughout Labor Day weekend is expected to leave New York City and surrounding coastal areas comparatively unscathed. Instead, Hermine will veer east, hitting Long Island, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts. Winds of up to 50 miles per hour will develop in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and tides could surge by as much as 5 feet from um, Virginia up through New Jersey. And lastly, the teenager who lost his foot after a July 3rd explosion Mm. in Central Park said on Monday that he can now walk again and thanked the many compassionate people who donated funds that allowed him to buy a prosthetic leg. Connor Golden said the online fund account has raised more than $70,000. Wow. The Virginia Eagle Scout stepped on explosives that were left behind during the run-up to the 4th of July holiday. So that's some good news for you this morning. $70,000 for the boy. Yeah, from people across the country. How cool is that? And he's an Eagle Scout, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> Good job, Caitlin. Thank you so much for the uh, rundown there. Yeah, today, Hillary Clinton, um, actually yesterday, I guess, she she got the press on her plane, did a little press co- presser. I guess that's what you call Apparently, it. Apparently she was using a, a smaller private jet before. Now she's got a bigger 737, I believe it is. And now she can have... She can sit in first class, have the uh, the minions back in the back. They travel with it's It's how they usually do this. With Secret Service in between. So she went and spoke to them for a few minutes. <laughs> many, it, many in the press said they do count that as a press conference where she speaks to a holiday But did gaggle. she go back? I remember she went and yeah. there was this weird moment where she's like, welcome to the plane. What do you think of the plane? And no one every, said anything. Every sort of real moment with her seems to be kind of awkward. It's a real awkward moment. She walks back. I've been wishing I could talk with you guys more. Okay, no, you're not. <laughs> but it, it ends two hundred and what sixty something days of no press conferences. Well, no, like standing in front of thirty members of the press. Yeah, she talks to the media yeah. individually. You know, uh, apparently she's got. Um, apparently she's she's not going to live very long because she's got this coughing problem. It's what some websites keep reporting. What is that about? Can you not have a chronic cough without everyone more? I, I saw one uh, conservative radio talk show host okay. say that for all of us in the broadcast media who have to speak for a living with allergies, he understands. Yeah. He, and he says these health uh, you know, ideas about her health and stuff are ridiculous. She just she has an allergy just and she's coughing. Leave her alone. Leave her alone, for heaven's sakes. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's start with her, her little coughing fit. Maybe there's an allergy. Every time I think about Trump, I get allergic. <laughs> she's had a couple situations similar to this, but she's t- she's talking quite a bit. 
Yeah. As you know, when you're running for president, you tend to do that. The you, doctor. You speak for a living. Yeah. The doctor in me says it's a productive cough. So it's. <laughs> Stuff's moving. That's good. <laughs> that didn't even. It's, I thought it was a Saturday Night Live skit. It kind of did, didn't it? That uh, it, apparently. It, it, it soon probably will be. One of the things that also was mentioned is the fact that uh, that uh, Trump, you know, may have created a, a mess when he went to Mexico. What happened is what we call a diplomatic incident mm-hmm. uh, because he came out saying one thing and the Mexican president contradicted him almost immediately. So it is clear that he went down with a mission. It's been the mission of his whole campaign from the very first day to demonize immigrants, to call Mexicans rapists and criminals, to do everything he could to stir up all kinds of bad feelings about hardworking people. And he didn't raise it, so he did choke. Whoa. Hmm. Choked. He choked. And that was an incident. He created an incident, a diplomatic incident. Yeah. That's, we- remember when Jeff did that? <laughs> that was embarrassing, Jeff. So he choked and she coughed. Yeah. Right. But hers was productive, and apparently he's still reeling from his, even but though he seems pretty positive about it. He, he would say, I didn't choke. So let me just tell you about choking. I don't choke. She chokes. Look at the deal she's made. She's responsible for so many bad things that have happened to our country, including the signing by her husband of NAFTA, which has drained our country of its jobs. I've been giving given A-plus, including by you people, but I've been given A-pluses for the job I did in Mexico. And the fact is, Mexico will pay for the wall. Uh, it was uh, discussed that it wouldn't be discussed, but they know my stance. So her husband signed the NAFTA agreement. Right. And that somehow is a reflect- reflection on her choices and decision-making. Well, she married him. Why would you marry a man that proposes and signs NAFTA? It's just, I mean, that says a lot about your character. Did you hear that guy breathing? Yeah, just kind of heaving. I don't know. I think I'm not sure who that was because Pence was there. He's there, and then the guy from ABC. I would love to see the video of that because you know there's some guy just holding a microphone that looks like Igor or something. Don't you wish you could have assigned yourself an A plus in school? I got all A plus. I got an A plus. Yeah, everyone said that's great. That's that's what we're gonna learn uh, from David C. Johnston about Mr. Trump is he'll say anything. And he really believes he got A pluses, even if he didn't get A pluses, even if they don't give A pluses. Hmm. He broke the mold, and they only gave Donald A pluses. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that crazy interview. Um, so let me get this straight: hmm. she coughs, yes. He choked. She says he then says he's no choker. If anyone chokes, it's Hillary, because Hillary's husband signed NAFTA, yeah. and that was the massive choke. Mm, okay. Just want to make sure I get it all straight. Yeah. I mean, it, there's, a, there's a logical thread moving through this argument. And we've also learned that Hillary's apparently uh, allergic to Donald. That's what she says. Which is really <laughs> good to know. But the real issue, I think, is, is Hillary going to live with her health problems? And uh, who better to step up than her vice president to give his take? Does she look presidential fellas? That's a that's an idiotic comment from Donald Trump. I got added to this ticket about 11, 12 weeks, 100 days from the election. 
this uh, great public servant has been on the field for 17 or 18 months, it's hard to keep up with her. The day he tweeted out, Hillary didn't come to Mexico, does she have the energy? She was here in Ohio talking to the American Legion. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of left that part out. Like, where's Hillary? I don't know. Like, well, where is she? She's on other channels. And Donald was invited to the American Legion. He was. Yeah. But he went to Mexico. Well, he's also offended a lot of veterans and people of the American Legion. Yeah, it just depends. Historically. <laughs> uh, I guess the question, too, is, is Donald, is he really going to show up for the debates or is he just a fraidy cat? Mm. An important element of what we're doing. I think you have an obligation to do the debates. I did them with, with the other, you know, in the other cases. We had, I guess, 11 debates. Uh, no, I look forward to the debates. Is Donald on an airplane? Yes, he is. Both candidates did their these press conferences on their airplanes. Now, Donald, I don't remember doing inter- interviews on airplanes until Hillary started doing interviews. No, on no, them. no. He's done them. Has he? He's on his private 747 or whatever he flies around in, yeah. and that's what uh, okay. that's what he's sitting on. The thing is, the Hillary Clinton campaign had the courtesy to turn the engines off, whereas the Trump campaign left the engines on. Well, let's try this. Uh Let's just replay that one, Jeff. But I want everybody listening. Imagine that, that you're sitting in Don's dressing room and he's just blow drying his hair. An important <laughs> element of what we're doing. I think you have an obligation to do the debates. And I his hair with, is just blowing with in the, the wind. other, you know, in the other cases. We had, I guess, 11 debates. Yeah. Uh, no, I look forward to the debates. How do you know he's on an airplane? He might just be blowing his hair dry. Pence has his own airplane. Oh, he does. Yesterday on the tarmac in Cleveland, I believe, because they were all in Ohio. Over on this side, you had Hillary Clinton's new plane. Then you had Trump's plane that's the dark color. It says Trump. And then there was one that's a a white, but it said Trump and Pence. So it's like there's a campaign campaign plane. There's Trump's personal plane and then Hillary's plane. And they're all right there together because they're all trying to get into Ohio the same weekend. Pence is taking out the family car. Yeah. But you don't get to drive dad's new nice big no. car. But you get to go out in the family car. Dad's got his dad's his car. That's the car you, you know, here's the And now mom's got a car. When I was a kid that here's the Nova. That's what you yeah. get to drive. Yeah. <laughs> I had <laughs> the t- minivan. Yeah, there Did you go. <gasps> Never trust a man in a van. That's what my mom told my sisters. Never trust a man in a van. Words to live by. Mm-hmm. We didn't know you had a van before we hired you, Jeffrey. Well, now I have a 2004 Toyota Camry that was owned yeah. by an 80-year-old woman. Whoa. So it's like mint. It's, it's totally mint. Yeah. Before we go on, play clip seven. By the way, she says things about me that are horrible. As an example, the single greatest asset I have, according to those that know me, is my temperament. But she came up mm-hmm. with this Madison Avenue line, oh, let's talk about his temperament. It's the single greatest asset I have is my temperament. So he's still in the hair salon, but yeah. his temperament... Well, okay, this is good. It's it's the single greatest asset he has. It's what he says. Is his temperament. It's it's not even just what he says. It's what everyone around him says. And if they would have asked the hairdresser behind him, would have concurred. You know what Completely. we're going to do? We will now then, we'll take a break, come back, and be speaking with the man that wrote the book on the making of Donald Trump, Pulitzer Prize winner. We're going to find out if uh, his temperament really is his single greatest attribute. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, learn to lead and hopefully doing it the healthy way. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, as people, we often want to get into the minds of the rich and famous. What makes them tick? What are their family dynamics? Some even want to know their favorite restaurant. One person who meets both of those descriptions is presidential candidate Donald Trump. We're trying to figure out more about this man and why he just, according to the CNN, the latest CNN poll, he's now running a little bit ahead of Hillary Clinton in the CNN ORC poll. Huh. How is this happening? A little background, actually a lot of background on Donald Trump uh, from our next guest. Pulitzer Prize winning journalist David C. Johnson is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Making of Donald Trump. And uh, David, we're so honored to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us today. Well, glad to be here, Matt. Now, enlighten us. Uh, I come from a state that struggles a little bit with Donald Trump, trying to believe in him and understand him here in Utah. Talk to us about, uh, well, first of all, I guess I have to ask you this question because Donald set us up for it. He says his single greatest attribute is his temperament. (laughs) Would you? Okay. So for the guy that has been studying Donald for 20 plus years, you just can laugh. That's all you got. Yeah. Um, Well, understand, I mean, your readers should understand that my book is entirely based on Donald's own words, his filings. I have thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of Trump documents in my home that I've collected over the almost 30 years that I've written. Wow. And uh, the person that you're being marketed to has nothing to do with the reality of who Donald Trump is. For example, Donald Trump is aggressively anti-Christian. He's written about this at great length, and I quote him about it. He has a word for people who follow the teachings in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. Fools, idiots, schmucks. This is a man who put the life of a sickly infant, his grandnephew, in jeopardy over money. And when he was asked, don't you think that looks cold-hearted? Well, what else could I do, he said. And yet... He risked his incredibly lucrative casino license to help a convicted drug trafficker, the supplier, by the way, of the helicopters personally to Donald Trump and for his casinos, by pleading for mercy for him when he got caught. And this guy's case mysteriously was transferred from Cincinnati, Ohio, to Newark, New Jersey, where of all 800-plus federal judges, it came before Judge Marianne Trump Barry, Donald's sister. Wow. Now, she she removed herself from the case, but think about the conversation. She went down the hall to the chief judge and said, "Uh, listen, uh, I can't handle this case because my husband, who's a lawyer for the Trump casinos, flies in this guy's helicopters, and so do I. Oh, wow. A federal judge flying around in a drug, confessed drug traffickers' helicopters. Hmm. Uh, Donald then wrote a letter pleading for mercy, saying this was a stand-up guy and he should not be treated harshly. Well, he got 18 months behind bars. That's what he served. And the little fish, the pe- he, people who, who drove the drugs for him from Miami, where the Colombians brought the cocaine in up to Cincinnati— Some of them got 20 years. Oh, boy. Now, what kind of a man who's already fabulously wealthy? There's no evidence he's a billionaire, but he's by any any reasonable means a very wealthy man. Um, What kind of a man puts the life of any child, much less your own blood, at risk over money 
and seeks mercy for a major drug trafficker and then runs for president of the United States saying that I care about you and all crime will stop the day that I get elected, <laughs> which he's literally said. I know. I remember. Well, everything is, is this extreme position of that he's the only one that knows how to handle terrorism. He's the only one that can stop it. He's the only one that can change the African-American experience in the United States. States. I mean, how you've been following him 30 plus years. First of all, how did you well, get no, 20, into following 20, 20 him? Plus years. Matt, just to be clear, 28 plus years. 28 years. How did you do that? How how did you get into him? How did you start saying, I'm going to follow Donald? I need to learn well, more about I, this guy. I've been an investigative reporter my whole life. And in 1988, I left the Los Angeles Times, where I had worked for many years, and went to the Philadelphia Inquirer and to become the Atlantic City Bureau Chief because I believed we were about to see casino gaming spread all across America. And I thought somebody needs to go in and see, did government actually clean up this business that's always historically been associated with corruption, uh, with corrupting public figures, with crime, and run by vice lords? Did they really clean it up? And I wrote a book about it called Temples of Chance back in 1992. Uh, laying out what I had learned. So as soon as I met Trump, I immediately realized that he's the P.T. Barnum of our age. Hey, hmm. come and see the two-headed Fiji mer- mer- you know, two-headed yeah. woman and the Fiji mermaid. And then I began to learn from other people in Atlantic City, including real uh, casino moguls like Steve Wynn and competitors, executives, and some of Trump's own people, they didn't know anything about the gambling business. And so when he and I sat down to have a cup of coffee, I fed him a, a, a question that had a false statement contained in it about the game of craps. And he immediately embraced this and, and put it into his answer just the way TV psychics and con artists do. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple more falsehoods, and he embraced those. And at that point, I realized that all these people who were telling me that Trump was essentially a con artist were correct. And by the way, his only real business skill is doing deals where he puts no money in. He never had a dollar invested in Atlantic City, only negative investment because he took money up front. His real skill is making deals that send a lot of cash to him, and that's why he lives in his wake. All of this litigation by workers he wouldn't pay, vendors he wouldn't pay, uh, investors who were uh, filed lawsuits saying they were swindled, and he walks away with a lot of money. That that's that's what his game is. Mm. Is he? You you've met him. You've you've had lunch with him. You've he he has your phone number. You guys talk, which seems scary to me. Um, what what's he? Is he? Does he impress you in any way? Well, he impresses me in some things that he's done. I mean, one of the things I point out in the making of Donald Trump is that. He wanted to make himself famous in a household name. And even before this run for the presidency, which is not his first, he succeeded in that. Now, that's a a substantial accomplishment. Mm. Um, Secondly, his brand name. I mean, my name is unique among 7 billion people, David C.A.Y. Johnston. That's how I make my living now that I no longer work at newspapers because I'm a brand name and people see my books and know that they get serious investigative reporting in them. But next to Donald, you know, I'm like like uh, right. handled by the sun. I mean, his ability to sell his name is is just off the chart remarkable. 
Uh, so that's another accomplishment. And and he you know he did build Trump Tower, which whether or not you like the architecture is a it's a concrete 58 story building that is a noticeable part of the Manhattan landscape if you walk around Midtown Manhattan. So he, he's done a few things. <laughs> And yet, I mean, that are enormous and, and huge, except when you get into the background, it you do see and you've exposed a lot of shadiness. I mean, again, like you said earlier, you're not making any of this up. You're just quoting the facts. Um, oh, there's there in the back of the making of Donald Trump. There are 44 pages just of references so that you can if you don't believe something, you can check my work. And, and I've been at this, Matt, for almost 50 years when I reported a lot of things in my career that people found hard to believe, all of them have held up. And I'll give you one classic example. When I reported that the police chief in Los Angeles was assigning undercover officers to sleep with women to get political inf- information, there were people who said, oh, that's crazy. That can't possibly be true. Mm. Uh, subsequently, in court cases, this came out, and it was all true. Validated. And, and you know, there's nothing, everything in, in my book is so well documented that I include in it my personal email if people want to ask a further question or they can't find something. Wow. That, again, with some of the Trumpites, that might be dangerous. Well, I mean, you know, what am I at risk at? I'll get my mailbox filled with 100,000 emails one day. Um, talk, talk to us about what what you see. I mean, there's so many stories, one after another, uh, a big one now, and this really jives with what your your background and your expertise is, is his taxes. He he doesn't want to release his taxes. Why? Well, Donald's never going to show us his tax, tax returns. First of all, um, Donald, we know from the public record, from his casino records, paid no income taxes in 1978, 1979, 1992, and 1994. I showed earlier this year, and I tell about it in the making of Donald Trump, that he paid no income taxes in 1984, and there were major badges of fraud involving his 1984 tax return. He was audited by the city of New York and the state of New York, which both have income taxes. His a longtime tax guy, under oath, said when shown the tax return that was in in question, and your state and federal returns in New York are identical in terms of your income, that's my signature, the tax guy said, but I didn't prepare that tax return. And this return, among other things, showed um, what's called a sole proprietorship or Schedule C business with zero income and over $600,000 of expenses for which Trump had not a single receipt or other documentation, not a single thing, and yet he challenged this anyway. Uh, in all likelihood, Donald has not paid income taxes since 1978. If he has, he's paid a few dollars here and there. And we also know um, that in recent years, the last three or four years, he has reported on his tax return an income of less than $500,000. And we know that because he got something called the Star Property Tax Rebate in New York State. That's determined by a computer. The computer just reads the relevant line on your tax return, and if it's less than $500,000, the state cuts you a check. Donald was trying to say, oh, they sent it to the wrong address and come up with all sorts of nonsense excuses. It's an automated, computer-driven system. (laughs) And so in all likelihood, he's paid little or no income taxes, but in addition, there's good reasons to think he's cheated on his taxes. I, I have a chapter in the book about how he cheated on the sales tax, and then avoided getting indicted by running to law enforcement and ratting out other people. 
Um, he has told property tax authorities that his uh, golf course in Los Angeles, which he has publicly claimed is worth over a quarter of a billion dollars for tax purposes, is only worth $10 million. He has a golf course in uh, outside of New York City, two of them actually, each of which he says are worth more than $50 million. And yet he's asserted that one of them, for property tax purposes, is only worth $1.3 which is uh, essentially the value of uh, less than two houses on the fairway. Wow. And I guess, too, he wouldn't want everyone to see what he's really worth. Yes. If somebody like me could take his tax returns and back-engineer them and tell you a great deal about him. But there's no evidence whatsoever that he's worth billions of dollars. In a single day, Trump has said... Uh, that he, given people net worth statements that have varied enormously. He told me one day $3 billion and a TV reporter later in the day $5 billion. <laughs> And when he was asked under oath, well, how do you determine your net worth? You know, most of us do that by you add up the assets you have, you subtract whatever debts you owe, and the difference is your net worth. It's not difficult, right? right. Donald testified under oath that, well, it's determined by his emotional state. And when he's feeling good, then his net worth goes up. And the lawyer questioning him under oath, you know, pressed this to make sure it wasn't the – and he kept arguing, though, that his net worth is based on how he feels at the moment. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so it strange. It's amazing that, that, that we have a major political party yeah. whose rules allowed a guy who, you know, if he weren't rich, we might think is mentally impaired uh, to become its nominee. And uh, – so you look at you know this lifelong association, Matt, with con artists, swindlers, violent felons, um, American mobsters, Russian mobsters, that he's in debt to the communist Chinese state-owned Bank of China, hmm. that he gets money from Russian oligarchs. And none of the oligarchs in Russia keep their money unless they're close friends of Vladimir Putin that he's a Republican promoting the number one foreign policy objective of the leader in Moscow, which is to weaken NATO so oh. he can help rebuild what was the Soviet empire, is the candidate of the Republican Party. And we have a major news organization, well, they say they're a news organization, yeah. Fox, promoting all these lies and falsehoods that he tells and not checking him. Oh. Okay, we'll take a break, David. Let's come back. I want to know how this came to be, what you think he's been doing and how he's been, I guess, moving the uh, white middle class uh, to get on his side. We're going to take a break. More with David C. Johnson, Pulitzer Prize winner in 2001 and uh, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Making of Donald Trump. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is David C. Johnston. He is the uh, the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Making of Donald Trump. Also is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist um, and a columnist for the Daily Beast, the National Memo, and the USA Today. He's won so many awards. Uh, he, he probably, oh, in fact, that's the story you got to tell, David. I was going to say, you've won so many awards, you don't have a place to hold them all. But Donald Trump's even won more five- and six-star awards than you have. Yes, at least 19 Trump hotels, restaurants, and golf courses 
display the most coveted award in the world, not the most coveted, you know, hospitality industry award, but the most coveted award in the world, which comes from the American Academy, I think it's of Hospitality Sciences, and um, it turns out that they're awarded by an institution run by a former mob guy named Joey Nosocks, who was a uh, art thief and uh, other kinds of uh, thievery out of his apartment in Central Park West in New York, and whose board is dominated by none other than the Trump family and oh, Trump wow. retainers. And so some of these awards, well, all of these awards actually uh, have on right on the signature, Donald Trump. This is a man who <laughs> he signed his own award, award to himself. Holy cow. Is that, I, I guess that's the thing. He's He is the opportunist. It's really about him. Um, if he's representing the country, would would the country benefit from his his opportunism, or would it in the in in the end only still just be about Donald? Oh, it would only be about uh, Donald. Don, t- you you exist not as a person, Matt, but as one of two things. Um, you either are there to recognize that Donald is the greatest person among us, and that you should be honored to just bask in his presence and his glory, or he has a word for you, loser. <laughs> so true. Um, everybody he disagrees with, you know, or comes up against him, loser. And he's t- and he's like a chameleon politically. I mean, he used to. He has said in the past, for example, that Hillary Clinton would make a great president of the United States. That she's the most qualified person to ever run. He's given lots of money to the Clintons uh, in campaigns. Um, not the charitably Donald doesn't give. He creates this claim that he's an ardent philanthropist, which is complete nonsense. But um, it, Donald is somebody who, as a typical con artist, will tell you whatever he thinks you want to hear at the moment, and he isn't worried that you're going to find the videotape or something. Are you there, David Johnson? We've uh, we've lost you for a second. We'll take a, a break and, and see if we can't track him down. It's one of the things that I love about the work J- David has done is he won his Pulitzer Prize by doing investigative journalism and uh, extensive research in in taxes and tax laws and tax fraud. And so as he sits and, and he jumps into all of Donald's numbers and, and kind of the machinations that we we see in Donald Trump – it makes it very real, I think, for all of us to have uh, somebody that's so well-versed in his life to try to understand what he's about. He really is um, an opportunist, and I guess that's one of the reasons he's he's been able to take this this drive and this desire to jump on at the presidency. I mean, it takes a lot of ego. It takes a lot of energy to be able to run down the presidency of the United States. It takes a lot of name recognition, and this is all stuff that Donald— has positioned himself perfectly for. Um, it also takes uh, a lot of, you know, skill and savvy and insight and understanding. And it sounds like Donald's not one that uh, is really, you know, big into in his desires to learn and um, and to uh, to try to, I guess, educate his way through the process. Uh, many times David has said and given examples where he's made a mistake and been corrected on something that they know he had said wrong. And, um, you know, uh, the trilateral agreement of nuclear weapons that they can be dropped from air, from land, from sea. 
and uh, which of the three of the triad of nuclear uh, uh, war, you know, is the best approach we should be investing in or whatever. And they kept asking Donald about it. And uh, Hugh Hewitt's the one that actually asked him about it. And uh, three months later, Hugh Hewitt asked him again about it. And in those three months, Donald still hadn't gone to learn about nuclear weaponry. Again, it's tough because I don't have time to do all of that, except you need to know, right? This is our, this is our president. This is the, the man that we're trying to, uh, to elect as president. So one of the reasons I think that David Johnston is so valuable is simply because he has spent so much time trying to understand the, uh, the average Joe. And uh, we finally we got uh, David back on the phone. David, welcome back to the show, my friend. Yeah, sorry. I don't know what went wrong with Tom there. Maybe uh, Trump's listening. Hey, um, <laughs> or his people are. I was talking, David, one of the things about your your background, too, is that you fought for, you know, the, the lower income people of this country. You've done extensive research in in just, I guess, economics, but also tax laws. And talk to us about how is it that Donald Trump is is where he is. I mean, how what is he pushing on in the country that uh, that's making him so successful? Well, I, I don't know that he's so successful. Trump was born into a very wealthy family. Um, if it was raining, his father had a, had his boys work. But if it was raining or snowing, uh, Donald was taken around in his father's uh, chauffeur-driven Cadillac to deliver newspapers in the morning. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> not that's exactly crazy. just rolls and down Donald his window. Blown, yeah, that's right. And Donald has blown opportunities to make billions of dollars, as I explained in the making of Donald Trump from business deals that, that he blew. Um, his, his, uh, his, his deals have all been based on an element that includes fraud. Uh, when he built Trump Tower, he had to tear down the Bonwit Teller department store he promised to save its beautiful Art Deco friezes in the front or bar relief uh, art, uh, design features. Instead, he smashed them, and he used a fake spokesperson. He called up the New York Times and said he was John Barron. Right. John Barron was himself. That they had no artistic merit and no value, and nobody wanted them when the Metropolitan Museum of Art wanted them desperately because they were considered classic examples of Art Deco. Um, he then hired a bunch of illegal immigrants to tear down the building, and they took it down by hand, a 12-story building they took down with sledgehammers. They had no hard hats, no goggles, no face masks. It was asbestos all through the building. And because they were illegals, he paid them $4 an hour in almost all of them. Uh, They were so poor, they slept in the construction site as they demolished the building, and Donald wouldn't pay them. Mm. And finally, uh, somebody took Donald to court, 18 years after all this began, they finally got uh, a settlement, and we don't know what it was because Donald settled on terms promising that um, it sealed, but a federal judge before that settlement found that Donald's testimony was not to be believed and ruled that he had engaged in a conspiracy to cheat these men out of their pay. $4 an hour to work Mm. in midtown Manhattan. Uh, uh, and, and Donald would, I had no idea this was going on. And that's where the judge said, that's ridiculous. You had an office with a picture window view across the street. You went to the site repeatedly. And by the way, the illegal immigrants that you hired from Poland were easy to spot. They were the only people on the site without hard hats. 
And somehow there were no safety inspectors who showed up, or if they did, nothing ever happened. We don't know where the fix was in there. But in midtown Manhattan, you know, he got away with that. In Atlantic City, um, he brags in his book, The Art of the Deal, how he deceived his investment partners, the company that owns the Harrah's Casinos and at the time owned the Holiday Inn chain of motels, how he deceived them because he hadn't done any work. And so he hired a crew to dig holes at one end of the site of what became the Trump Plaza Casino and fill them at the other. And he boasted about you know, this. I mean, this is a man who brags about tricking and deceiving people and then says, you know, I'm the only one who can solve your problems. No, I'm the one who will put you into deep trouble. And also, Matt, Donald doesn't know anything. One of the points I make in the making of Donald Trump is that I teach part-time at Syracuse University. My students at a snap of a finger can answer a question that's in the book that Donald under oath gave an answer that is gibberish, <laughs> just as he has done on the nuclear triad, just right. as he said, well, we could use nuclear weapons in Europe. Every country in Western Europe, that's what he was talking about, was Western Europe, is our ally. Use <laughs> nuclear weapons uh, right. in countries where we have allies? I mean, this is, this is it, it should tell, scream at people. The man has no idea what he's talking about. And if he weren't wealthy, and while I don't think there's any evidence he's a billionaire, he's unquestionably very wealthy. Um, if, if, if he weren't wealthy, if he didn't have his TV show and you ran into him somewhere in a coffee shop, you, you would think this guy's delusional. He's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess if he were just in a pair of jeans and a polo shirt sitting at a you know coffee shop, yeah, and you could talk to him, you'd be wondering, he's, you'd think he's a scammer. Just a scam artist. Yeah, and 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 you know, I mean, in many ways, you know, his level of knowledge is the same as a drunk in a bar, and and I show in the making of Donald Trump how his own words under oath establish he doesn't know anything. He's also, by the way, you were asking me before we had the phone difficulties about things he's accomplished at. Yeah, there are three other things he's accomplished at. He's been a masterful at shutting down law enforcement investigations of himself by running out the clock by negotiating deals because he saw a political opportunity so that he's avoided the kind of scrutiny he, he, his dealings should have had. I don't think he ever should have qualified for a casino license in New Jersey, for example, and I explained in the making of Donald Trump why and how that came about. Next, he is the most masterful manipulator of the conventions of journalism I've ever seen. He understands that most reporters simply accurately quote what they hear even if they don't know what's going on underneath. And by using the New York tabloid, the New York Post and New York Daily News, he's managed to create an image by getting other people to follow what they say about him, mm. planting stories. And then thirdly, he's created not just the image that he's the modern Midas, even though much of what he touches turns to dross, but that he is the greatest lover of our age and that women like Madonna and the actress Kim Basinger and Carla Bruni, who uh, later who, who became first lady of France, are pounding on his bedroom door because they just have to have him mm. in bed. And <laughs> two of those women he'd never met, and the third one has publicly called him a lunatic. He's crazy. And had nothing to do with him. Yeah. And, well, you also have to ask yourself, you know, some 13-year-old boy – you know, claims he was making out with Sally in the back row at the movie theater. Um, that's one thing. But this is a man who, at the time he did this, was in his mid-40s. 
and who in his mid-60s had the opportunity on the Howard Stern radio show to set the record straight. And instead, in the chapter I call Myth Maintenance, he continued to create the impression that Carla Bruni was his lover. And it's just, you know, what kind of a grown man behaves this way? Yeah, no, right. And yet he is the Republican Party standard bearer, which is terrible. We're going to find out after the election. This is terrible for the country. It's good to have two strong parties contesting ideas. It's not good to have a party led by a world-class narcissist who has no real ideas, you know, whose wife can't even give her own speech. She has to crib from the speech of, of uh, the first Obama. Yeah. Man, you know what, David, is so interesting to me, too, is it, it, there's something that's not probably being addressed enough. And I'll give you one minute is all I've got left is, is yeah. this is this is this because of Trump that he's there? Is it because of the media or is it because of an angry electorate? Well, it's, it's a bunch or of all of the above. talking about inequality. Yeah, you were talking about inequality. I wrote a trilogy of books about how government policy is taking from the many and giving to the, to the few, and that's creating this anxiety. But the people who are suffering from this, they don't read my books, even though they're right. read, written to be read by people with a high school education. Donald is exploiting that. Secondly, uh, newsrooms in this country have shrunk dramatically. Uh, the overall number of journalists in this country was 50% higher in 2000 than it is now. So lots of work isn't being done, or it's being done on on the cheap and short. Actual news gathering is very expensive to do. Mm. Repeating public statements is cheap. And then the parties themselves, Donald uh, exploited a system in which we don't have party discipline. We have the politics of personality. And unless the two parties come up with better rules, this is not the last time we will see something like this. Yeah, now we'll have like a... Yeah, any any major star with name brand can get in there now. Well, we appreciate you, David C. Johnston. Thank you so much, and keep up uh, keep up your great work, your journalism. We need it. Well, thank you, Matt, and I hope people uh, take a look at the making of Donald Trump. You bet. Take care. New York Times bestseller: The Making of Donald Trump by an investigative journalist, folks. Somebody that won the Pulitzer Prize. It's uh, it's some seriously important information. Again, we need that we need a similar book on Hillary Clinton as well. This isn't just a beat up Donald Day, but it is inform us of Donald Day. And uh, we'll do the same with Hillary Clinton. Stick with us. We'll take a quick break. Be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in the end, uh, we were just taught something really interesting by David Johnson, um, where he talked about the fact that we live in a world of uh, the politics of personality, that you can have a name brand and, uh, you know, a political persuasion and a political opinion, and that's kind of all you need. You don't necessarily need the experience, the history, or even a track record. Nowadays, because you can sell it uh, as as far as you want to sell it. We've got some big problems. In fact, CNN just had a new breaking news headline. 500 people so far murdered in Chicago in the last um, in 2016. It's the deadliest year in two decades. Are these the people that are going to stop it? Your presidential choice 
should be on that issue, right? Your presidential choice should have an answer there, not just a bunch of gravitas and a bunch of opinion. It should be a plan. We need our leaders to have plans, not just a bunch of charisma and personality. If we want something to happen, we need and we need to demand character. Don't just complain. Don't just sit back and be frustrated by it all. Demand some answers. Demand some positions. And don't just default to what you've got either. It might also be a good time to to communicate what you need um, by how you vote as well. So. Again, we'll get uh, we'll do a, a very similar interview on Hillary Clinton in the near future and uh, give you the full picture. A Pulitzer Prize winner, folks. You, you don't get you know as many facts in one book as we just heard from Doctor or from David C. Johnston. Um, sometimes I know it's hard to hear a lot of it, and we don't want it to be negative. We just want it to be real. We'll take a break. Come back next hour. More ideas, more information to help you uh, feel better and live longer. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number two of the program. And again, have we got a great one for you today. Today's a big day, by the way. September 6th, it's Read a Book Day. It's an important day. <gasps> oh. Butterfly in the sky. Yeah. I can go twice as high. Take a look. Mm-hmm. Reading Take rainbow. A book, a reading rainbow. Many a child learned to read. On reading Rainbow. Or many a second grade teacher in my life would turn that on and <laughs> give herself a 30-minute break. <laughs> would she really? Occasionally, yeah. That doesn't seem right. Yeah, we learned. It's, uh, it's also Fight Procrastination Day. Now, we've given Jeff an assignment. Jeff, you've got a really big story on procrastination you've been working on, right? You wanted that for today? Yeah. I think I told you that Friday. Hmm. I said, make sure it's ready for Tuesday, right? So it'll tomorrow. be tomorrow. Tomorrow. Well, I, we can't. We need it today. We need it by at least the end of this hour. All right. Just okay. She, I'm sorry. So you'll do it. You'll sorry. get it to yeah. us by the end of the hour. Done. And it's on procrastination day. Okay. Right? I'll get to it. Yeah. Well. Just study about procrastination because it might help you. It's kind of awkward. I am going to follow up. Uh, Terry, will you follow up when we're commercial? Um, sure. Just make sure. Just push on him. I'll, I'll write that down somewhere. Always procrastinate. We'll get to that. Also, we've got a great guest coming up. It's a replay of a, of a segment we've done before with Jeff or Jason Zook, who uh, wrote the book How to Get Stuff Done. And we were hoping... That Jeff's could have had Which, his piece that would have preceded yeah, Zook's piece. would have tied in nicely, but yeah. we'll have to go he, with what we he have. He never got his done. Right. I mean, no, I'm, yeah. no, we're going to do it today. Oh, oh today. To right. end okay. of, by the end of the show today, okay. we'll have Jeff's piece. Today. Maybe after the interview. Yeah, that's it. We'll do yeah. the interview on how to get stuff done. Yeah. And then we'll do Jeff's piece on about procrastination. Procrastinating. 
Thank you, Terry. Just trying to help keep the synergy of the show moving forward. So that's good. That's really good. So we'll get <laughs> all of that's coming up. Plus, of course, the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on? Thank you, Matt. Donald Trump is now ahead of Hillary Clinton by about two percentage points in a survey of likely voters in a new national CNN ORC poll released today. Trump is leading Clinton 45% to 43%, with the other candidates trailing much further behind. Gary Johnson is at 7% among likely voters, while Jill Stein is at just 2%. A Washington Post survey also published Tuesday shows how much it how tough it will be for Trump to convert national polling into votes in the Electoral College. The Survey Monkey study shows Clinton is outperforming national averages in a number of crucial states, and even the once solid red Texas could be in play. President Obama said today the United States will provide $90 million to help Laos remove nearly 80 million unexploded American bombs left over from the Vietnam War. Obama announced the U.S. had an obligation to help remove the weapons and laid out plans for a three-year project with the Laotian government. President Obama has also canceled a meeting with the president of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte, scheduled for today, following an outburst by President Duterte. Since June, more than 2,000 suspected drug dealers have been killed in the Philippines, and Obama said he would discuss with him international norms regarding due process. In response, the Associated Press reports that President Duterte said his country is a sovereign state and we have long ceased to be a colony. I do not have any master except the Filipino people, nobody but nobody. The president of the Philippines followed that up with some insulting comments about Obama that he has since apologized for making. Baja California is bracing for Hurricane Newton, which started the day as a tropical storm bringing heavy rains to western Mexico. The U.S. National Hurricane Center said Newton is a Category 1 storm with, a ma- with maximum sustained winds of 85 miles per hour, and it is centered about 160 miles southeast of the Los Cabos resort towns. Newton is expected to cross over Mexico to the Gulf of California by Wednesday and will most likely make its way to Arizona later in the week as a tropical depression. So there you have it. Storms mm. are in season. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Well, thank you, Caitlin. Um, interesting. Uh, President Obama basically said Colin Kaepernick has every right to say whatever he wants to say. He's just expressing his 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 you know freedom of speech. Yes. And I guess so, yeah. too, is the Philippines president. He didn't say what he wants in the yeah, Philippines. He just yeah. said whatever he wanted to. Yeah. And it ended up canceling. He's he since apologized. Well, it's hard to show up if you if you've been disrespected like the Filipino president disrespected President right. Obama. You can't just show up. No, that ship has sailed per se. But he's the the Donald Trump of Filipino politics. He's the guy that said we're going to. Uh, he said we were we will kill drug dealers in the streets, and they are. Those, two two thousand drug dealers have died so far as this guy's taken wow. office. Kind of, and that's uh, that's kind of what President Obama wanted to talk about. Yeah. You know, there's this due process thing, and this guy's like, well, I don't have to listen to you. Yeah, you just... You blankety-blank. Yeah. And yeah, and we won't even say the blank. Yeah. It was pretty blank. It was blank. pretty bad. <laughs> A lot of blank in that blank. Uh, crazy uh, stories. Also, when you hear the Chinese wouldn't give the president... Yeah. ...a stare... So Air, Air, Force One, Air Force One Air Force One has two uh, ways to exit. You can come down the – normally they just roll up the huge staircase yeah. and the president gets off and waves. And yeah. you, you've Big, seen it. Yeah. They Red have another carpet. one that's a door under the wing. Right. You come down about five or six stairs and go. Well, they have the third way. What's that? You just 
The jump out the, the back? slides. Okay. The inflatable slides. Oh, right. The inflatable slide. The fun way out. Which I would love to see the president do that. <laughs> Whee! <laughs> so right? the Chinese don't give, uh, the, when President Obama landed, they did not give him the big staircase. They gave him the little staircase underneath the wing, which people saw was a slight. <laughs> President Obama said, yeah. don't, uh, whatever, don't the worry Russians about it. The Russians got a staircase. Right. And then later, Everyone else got one. later there were some aides from the Obama administration that were kind of in a issue with some yeah. of the Chinese guides Rice, or something. What's her name? Um, uh, the NSA Susan leader Rice. Susan Rice Susan? got in a little, you know, a little yelling altercation people. with the and receiving party. It was about party. how many members of the media can come. And Obama said, basically, we go to foreign countries. They don't like our security protocols, and they don't like the number of media that we bring with us. But he goes, just because we go to another country doesn't stop this being an American representative showing up to a foreign country. So mm. we do respect what they want to do, but there's some things we need to do because, you know, we do. This is the president well, of the United States. you don't want the NSA leader mad at you. Well, no. I mean, that's just yeah. going to get you in trouble. So all that stuff was ironed out. And okay. Ch- uh, China even provided the big staircase so Obama could get back on Air Force that's One right. in style and everything's great. Ah. Uh. That was such a non-story. Staircases. Come on. We, um, we've we got so much to talk about. One thing, we, we sent Jeff out. Jeff, how, how's how's it coming on the assignment on procrastination? The the little... Well, I... How, how are you doing on that? We just gave you a little bit of time. I to... couldn't work on it because I assume you're about to ask me to play a different story. So I'm getting that queued up and ready to go. Well, I, when were that... you going to get to the procrastination story? I thought tomorrow. I thought tomorrow was the agreed upon. Is that what we agreed upon, Terry? But we just said the end of the hour. Yeah, we, we're gonna. We will play an interview on how to get things done. It'll help love, inspire you, and we'd love you to listen to it. Then during that time, you will then get ready your your. What, what exactly was it that you wanted me to do again? I just wanted you to do that expose on procrastination. In order to celebrate Fighting Procrastination Day. Oh. You're going to expose your tendency to procrastinate. I love how this is like new information to him. Yeah. (laughs) I was told it was going to be on something else. Well, did you read the email? Well, the emails, all three of them. Didn't you guys have a meeting? Yeah, we had a meeting. show last Friday. Do you remember? And then you met with Don Mm -hmm. about it? Okay. I, I... Wow. It's not ringing any bells. We're still trying to fight procrastination. Jeff will have a great... I'll uh, get something. You'll have something ready for us at the end of the hour. But, uh, but but another thing we did do is we sent Jeff out to go to Comic-Con. Now, this I did do. This you you did do. And it's he put together no, a just really... Just for clarification, Salt Lake Comic-Con. Salt Lake Comic-Con, not we San Diego. Salt... We don't want a lawsuit. Yeah, you no wanted, one's going to sue us. You wanted Salt Lake? Oh, no. Oh, boy. Did you go to San Diego? To oh, wait, no, no. This was Salt Lake. He went, to, he went to Milwaukee. So Comic comic Conference, is that yeah. what we're calling it? Yeah, is, sure. This is where every Marvel comic, DC comic character, yeah. every superhero you could imagine, they all show up in one conference. Yeah. They're really close together and there's too many of them. And, and we sent Jeff there. And Jeff uh, has put together this fantastic piece on Comic-Con. I'm standing here in the Salt Palace in Salt Lake City for Salt Lake Comic-Con, uh, otherwise known as Halloween. There are lots of people here dressed in all sorts of outrageous outfits. They've got bags and they're going around collecting candy. As you know, we at the Matt Townsend Show are all about answering the important questions in life. 
So we thought, who better to ask than superheroes and supervillains of Comic Con? So I got a couple of quiz questions here for you guys. This is name your superhero slash name your supervillain. I'm going to name either their alias or their actual name. You tell me one or the other, okay? We'll start with a kind of a softball. Who is Scott Lang? Cyclops. No, no, no. Scott Lang, Ant-Man. Ding, 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 ding. Here's another one. Who is Black Widow? Natasha Romanoff. We also would have accepted Hillary Clinton for Black Widow. I'm looking at a very interesting piece right now. Um, it's from Peanuts, you know, Charles Schultz. And uh, I don't think I don't think Lucy should be taking a bite out of Linus's arm like that. They're zombified, and uh, I'm just going to walk over here now. Uh, one more question. Is the war on drugs succeeding? What? Harry Potter, I want to ask you this question. If you could elect any superhero to the presidency, who would it be and why? You know what? I'll say I'll say Warshak because he knows when the end is apparently, although he is very insane. Any advice that he could give the current candidates on how to run their presidency? Just stop. Just stop. Man, I think you're really going to wish that you were here. There is Deadpool paraphernalia everywhere. I just passed a Deadpool truffle. There's a Deadpool license plate. I could go on. I, it's like Bubba from Forrest Gump. Deadpool hamburgers. Deadpool keychains. Deadpool oven mitts. Okay. What is Magneto's actual name? Eric? Eric? That's close enough. It's actually Max Eisenhart. Who is your favorite superhero and why? Probably Magneto. But you didn't know his name. I know. <laughs> you thought it was Eric. Okay. Should judges exclude prospective jurors after questioning them and determining they do not favor the law which the prosecution seeks to enforce? What was the question one more time? Deadpool breath mints. Deadpool coasters, Deadpool baby strollers. How did you feel when they killed off Harrison Ford in this last movie? I haven't seen the newest Star Wars movie yet. Oh, oh darn it. <laughs> um, you didn't hear that from me, okay? Should someone who has sworn an oath to protect the Constitution, but who then votes to allocate tax funds to programs or departments not authorized by that Constitution, should that person be punished? If not, why? They should not be punished because certain... So well, it depends. Are these social programs or defense programs? It's okay to defend the Constitution, which also defends your right to allocate money to social programs that support citizens that are also defended by that Constitution. Deadpool kosher meals. Okay, Matt, I'm so excited. I finally found a Batman. There have been a ton of Harley Quinns and a ton of Jokers, but uh, no Batmans until this one. So I'm standing here with Batman, and he has agreed to uh, voice a little promo for us for the Matt Townsend Show in his Batman bear voice. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Will we help you to live longer and love stronger? So there you have it. 
That was wow. my experience at Comic-Con. That was really Batman? Yeah. Well, there weren't too many. It was difficult to find them. But you found a lot of Deadpools. A lot of Deadpools and a lot of Deadpool paraphernalia. Paraphernalia. Yeah. I never got my Deadpool coasters. Did you get your kosher meal? I did get the kosher meal. That was okay. good. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that. So you had fun. Oh, it was a great time. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that you'd get all the Harry Potter as well. I didn't realize you'd get a little of the Peanuts gang. There were Disney princesses. There was a Mary Poppins. There was an Alice in Wonderland. Wow. Yeah. There wow. was even an Abraham Lincoln. Oh, really? Maybe from Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. No, probably I know that Lincoln was a movie. the movie. That was a good movie. Oh, maybe from Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like the historical movies wouldn't be a big hit at Comic-Con. Fun. Did you? What's your big takeaway? Um, I mean, some of them knew a lot about, you know, some of your political questions. and Yeah, that was surprising. I would say if you're a mom that's concerned about how your kid might handle Halloween, send them to Comic-Con. And it's kind of a, a precursor. Yeah, because you got you get to know really what what they might be called to be, or you can get some costume ideas. Bring your pillowcase, fill it up with candy at all the different booths. Okay, that's good learning. Comic Con, Salt Lake, of course, not San Diego. We didn't send him to San Diego. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be replaying an interview we did with Jason Zook about how to get stuff done. If you end up getting stuck and you can't finish projects and you're just not a finisher, this is the interview for you. Also, it's the interview for Jeff Simpson as he gets ready his expose on the, you know, the problems with procrastination. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Remember the excitement that you felt when you launched headfirst into your latest project? The bliss of knowing every door was open and the opportunities were endless? You know, you felt nothing could stop you. But then, if you're like most people, something stops you. And you don't even make it to the finish line. Let's say you don't even make it halfway through the project. And now you got to look at that project every day as you pull into the house or as you you know, just are doing your daily duties. So how do you get and keep that momentum? How do you get stuff done when you've hit a wall and you just got to get something done here? Well, joining us this morning is Jason Zook, creator of JasonDoesStuff.com. He's here to talk to us about things that can help us get over that wall and back into the groove of success. Welcome, Jason, to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you for having me, Matt. Good to be here. This is great uh, topic. Every one of us, I think, have probably run into these these walls. You're you're an interesting guy because many people may have seen you on the news or heard about you. You're the one that would basically rent your chest and uh, and wear a t shirt for somebody to go promote somebody. Yeah, for five years, I wore shirts for over sixteen hundred brands, made over a million bucks. Uh, with my company, I wear your shirt. Pretty interesting start. That's a crazy start. So you know how to get stuff done. What What is going on with us when we're so excited about a project and the next thing we know, we totally have no more energy or focus for it? 
You know, Matt, you said it perfectly. We are all guilty of this. It's not just something that, you know, uh, some, something that's wrong with you or something's wrong with your project. It's just human nature that we get so excited and then shiny object and we get derailed <laughs> or we see a big challenge. And again, it's like that wall. You just can't get over it. And so there are just a couple things that I've found over the years getting all these projects done, working with all these companies I've worked with the 10 years in entrepreneurship now. And the first thing is just making really small tactical to-do lists. And so that doesn't mean if you're trying to maybe write a book or, you know, film a movie or whatever you're trying to do, don't put that on your to-do list. Put every step along the way, you know, uh, write the first headline for the first chapter, write the first two sentences of the first chapter, you know, create a bullet point list of all the things you need to do for your book, if that's the example. Mm. But the, the thing about it is that we, we have these daunting tasks that sit in front of us. And if you don't break them down into little manageable bite-sized pieces, you'll never get them done. I've been there and I realized this. And so now I write to-do lists every single day of my life, first thing in the morning, for five minutes, and I just write out every little line item I can do, and that has made the biggest improvement in my life in getting things done. Well, and I guess you get the high of then checking stuff off. I mean, you don't need, oh, to, you don't need to write the book, right? You just need to you know, sit down, get the paper, do whatever you've written on your list, and if you get halfway through your list, you feel good. Exactly. And yeah, you're right. Scratching things off. Like I use a big red Sharpie and it just, I don't know, it feels really good. It's this, this little human psychological trick that just, oh man, I get to cross this thing off. And it, it sounds silly, but I've gotten a lot of stuff done over the years and I've helped a lot of people get a lot of stuff done and it works. <laughs> That's great. It usually is the simplest answer, isn't it? That uh, seems yeah, to do us the most good. Is it, um, and you really get you, you you say very tactical to-do list, literally get every little detail in there. And yep. um, I guess some of that, too, it's like writing an outline, really. You, you, you at least are thinking ahead to the next step, so you don't need to keep figuring it out every time you get interrupted. And it's for everything. I mean, this could be for if you want to get on a new diet, if you want to try and get a new job, if you want to improve something at your current job, if you want to improve your relationship. I mean, I have just found that breaking things down into really small tasks, very bite-sized doable tasks. And it can be done with every one of these things. And, you know, like, for example, working out, you know, go put your clothes out the night before for your workout clothes and put your shoes, your socks, your underwear, your shorts, your shirt, your bra if you're a woman, uh, all of your stuff in a pile so that there's no resistance to, oh, I got to go through the drawers and I have to go find it. No, it's all ready for you. Hmm. You know, and then you can just do these things one by one really simply and there's been a bunch of studies that if you just put your workout clothes on, don't even think about what workout you're going to do. But if you just put them on, you're 75% more likely to actually get a workout done because <laughs> you you put the workout clothes on. It's so silly, but it works. That's crazy. So, I mean, but it makes sense, right? It's, 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 it's the ability. It's not having to think about it. Whatever we can do yeah. to not have to think about it, I guess it's our mind that stops us so much of the time or our confusion or our interruptions and never getting back to it. But yeah, if you got your clothes on and your shoes on and your, you know, your your timer's going on your phone to get running, yeah. something's going to happen. Yeah, and the other thing about that is, you know, I think we have gotten into this society of over-glamorizing and, and glorifying hustling, you know, and working until the late night hours and, and burning the candle at both ends and all these other stupid metaphors about overworking ourselves. And I think pacing is so important to any project as well. You know, we, we don't live in survival mode anymore where we're running from a saber-toothed tiger and you have to get everything done in this last moment or you're going to get eaten. That doesn't happen. Right? Right. We don't have to deal with those things anymore. But yet we'll, we'll kill ourselves, you know, metaphorically, but we'll work so long. We'll put in so many hours. And for what? You know, what are we doing this for? It, whatever project it is you're doing it for, 
And I think that for me, I've just learned, you know, I used to work 14 and 16 hour days staring at my laptop all day, Matt. And I just, I finally just took a step back and said, why am I doing this? Why, you know, th- this isn't the career that I wanted. This isn't what I wanted to be doing in my life. I wanted more free time. I wanted more time away from a computer or a boss or a job. And so I, I've actually found that taking breaks and there's actually a really interesting study, and I don't remember who did it or what the name is, but is actually taking a year and putting it into three-month chunks or four-month chunks. And where you say, like, my year is actually only four months long, what can I get done in that period of time? Hmm. Instead of trying to, like, put it over a longer period of time, it's to make it a little bit shorter and then go, okay, how can I pace myself to get it done in this time and get things done a little bit more tactically, get things done a little bit more organized? And it just it really works. And a lot of people actually found that they got things done a month ahead of where they would have been because they didn't have all this extra time that they could just fill with all the little things that you do to distract yourself. Well, yeah, I mean, the the year maybe doesn't even work in the human evolution or psyche, right? I mean, right? we're used to the yeah. day, we're used to the minute, and Absolutely. we and then that concept stretches out our our goals and everything. You must have five hundred to do lists. How do you keep it all straight? <laughs> You know, I, I don't get, uh, as much as I love writing them every morning, I don't get, uh, you know, sympathetic about them. Uh, as soon as the day is over, I crumple them up, I throw them in the recycle bin, and I bring out a new piece of paper. And I do it on paper every yeah. day. Do you? Um, I, I used to do it in, in journals. Yeah, I just, I really like the feel of a piece of paper that's staring me in the face. It doesn't hide within a journal where you can close it and you can, like, put your to-do list away where it can't be seen. Um, and I don't like apps, you know, on, on the computer, on my phone for to-do lists because, what happens when you're on your phone or your computer? You get a notification. Oh, an email. I got to go check that. Uh-huh. Oh, someone tweeted Interesting, that. Interesting, yeah. Oh, Facebook notification, and you're gone. You're not in your to-do list anymore. You're not in that mindset. But a piece of paper for me has just been so big. So, you know, you'd think I have, like, this old, you know, crate full of papers that are dusty. <laughs> I don't. I throw them away every day. And, and that's actually part of the fun, too, is you can say, all right, I got to rewrite the ones I didn't get done, but I can throw away this other paper and now I move forward. That's great. So you don't use a planner per se. You don't use uh, you don't use technology apps. You I mean you have technology, but you don't you don't use the apps. Yes. You write it on a piece of paper. You hammer out the list, um, and then you do it again tomorrow. Yep, absolutely. And I just keep doing it. And, you know, and the other thing too here is is I take breaks. You know, it's not like I just write a to do list every single day of my life, 365 days a year. You know, I'll go a week without rewriting a to list every once in a while, to do list every once in a while, and I'll also just take time off from my project. And it sounds so counterintuitive, like you said at the beginning, when we feel like we've started this project, we're, we're up against a deadline, we're up against a wall, or, or we're just not even, you know, there's not even a deadline, and we just can't even feel like we're going to get this project finished. I'll just take a break. I'll just take a week off, and actually, that'll help redefine: Do I want to finish doing this project? Because mm. if I don't, I should just move on. And I don't think a lot of us have that that discussion in our minds of, of quitting in a good way, you know, allowing for new things to appear because we're quitting ones we actually don't do. And the other thing a break does is it recharges your creative batteries. It gives you more energy. It gives you kind of more incentive. If you really couldn't stop thinking about that project, okay, now I need to get back at it. You know, now I'm refreshed. Now I need to set a deadline and I need to stick to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you also, some of the research shows it actually makes you more creative. Having a break from the yeah. ideas that have been filling up your brain, right? Then you can come back and hammer it with new creativity. I don't know anybody who gets like constant creativity from being plugged in all the time. Yeah, you no. know, you, you find it in nature, you find it in the shower, you find it when you're away from looking at all the notifications and attention grabbing things that, that pulled us all day. And listen, I love that stuff. I sit on my technology most of the day, just like anybody else, but you have to establish time away from that stuff to be creative and get things done. 
What do you do for your breaks, like just in your day-to-day break? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've done for the past six or seven years, every single day at 5 o'clock, I walk my dog with my girlfriend, no technology, and we usually go somewhere where you can be in nature. We, we live close to the beach. We're, we're fortunate to live here in Southern California. And so we walk along the beach about a mile every single day. You hear the waves crashing. You know, you see other people. There's seagulls that are screeching yeah. at you. But you're, you're just out in nature. And so, you know, I used to live close to a, a hike. And so every morning I would do hikes for a little while. I just really believe that getting outside, you know, getting some fresh air. I mean, we sit inside all day, whether it's at our offices or in our ha- homes or wherever you are. And you just need to get outside. You, you need yeah. fresh air. You need vitamin D. And I think getting back to nature in some ways really helps, like, rich, for me especially, recharge my creative juices. No, that's great. And and it really, it seems like in the end, um, it's it's also great for your relationship. I mean, to have your girlfriend and be able to build uh, yeah. time in to talk every day. And the neat thing about a walk is you can really only go so far. Right. I mean, exactly. and, it's, and yeah. the time is not going to just keep going on and on and on. You're not going to spend all night walking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, it's finding what works for you. You know, I think a lot of people will say, oh, well, I don't live close to the beach. Or I don't live near a hike. Yeah. Hey, that's totally fine. What can you find that's near you? What can you do that's near you that you and a, a friend are sitting together or a dog or just yourself? You can get out of the house and do something because I, I guarantee you, if, if the people listening to this, just try this. Maybe establish a 30 day challenge for yourself. And I love 30-day challenges because they're very they're tight and they're easy to do. It's just every day pick something to do to go outside. And just 5, 10, 15 minutes. Like you said, you're not going to walk forever. Yeah. And do that thing every day. And at the end of the month, I would love your listeners to email me and tell me I'm wrong, that they didn't come up with one idea or they didn't solve one problem on those walks or they didn't have one little mini breakthrough because it happens. I see it happen for myself and I see it happen for the people who, you know, read my weekly emails from Jason Does Stuff, as you mentioned, and you know, have subscribed to the kind of the mantra of getting things done that I really stand behind. I love it. And and, and movement and finally, and just the health mm-hmm. factors, but also to get some creativity. We're speaking um, right now with Jason Zook, uh, how to get stuff done when you've hit a wall. It's a great article he wrote that's in QZ.com. And um, JasonDoesStuff.com is his website. Jason, hang on. We'll take a break. Come back. And folks, we're going to continue to get more information from Jason about how to move along, how to overcome the wall once you've kind of smashed right into it. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone, Jason Zook uh, is known for being the guy that made over a million dollars wearing T-shirts for a living and selling his last name twice. He recently uh, wrote an article, How to Get Stuff Done When You've Hit a Wall, and we are picking his brain um, about uh, his his great lessons there. He also has a great website that um, you can go check out, jasondoesstuff.com. Jason Zook, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome. Good to be back. Thank good, you so much. Good to have you. Now, so you basically have taught us we gotta we gotta you know make smaller uh, kind of tactical lists every day. Make a list, but in detail, so you're not just giving the big highlights like, "Hey, write a book." Um, and then you've also taught us we need to take breaks. What else do we need to do to to overcome the wall when we've hit it and we can't seem to get our projects done? 
you know, I, I think what we talked about a little bit ago, too, is just to bring it back up, is that we all deal with this. We all have things in our lives that we want to get done, and we just can't seem to get them finished, right? And I, I think it's so important that we realize we're not all supermen and superwomen. And as many things as I've gotten done in my decade of entrepreneurship, I need help. You know, and, and I'm, I'm so prideful, and I don't want to ask for help, Matt, but I've found that sometimes you just need a little nudge. And so there's a couple ways I do that. One is I build a trust circle. And this sounds maybe like a little culty, but it's not, I promise. <laughs> it's just a group of people that you trust, and they're not your friends, they're not your family. There may be colleagues, there may be people that you're connected to, acquaintances, people that you even look up to in whatever your field is, that you could send an email to and just say, hey, if I need a little bit of accountability, can I just email you? <clears throat> Excuse me. Can I just email you? You know, can I just send you something? And so what I've done is I've just built a trust circle over the years, and it changes, you know, year to year when people kind of fall off or they go into other things. Yeah. And I'll just email these people, six to eight people, and I'll just get their feedback on whatever I'm doing. And now I want a huge caveat here, big asterisk. Feedback can be dangerous if it's not coming from the right people. Ah. So if you're starting a new business and you email someone and they have no business experience, but yet they give you feedback about business stuff, you need to take that with a grain of salt. So always look one layer deeper on where feedback and criticism is coming from because that can actually derail you from getting something done as well. That's great advice. You know, I think the other thing that can really work too, in using a trust circle or not, is making a deadline public. Put it out there in the world. Tell the world, put it in the universe and say, I'm going to get this project done, whether it's a Facebook status or on Twitter or you're just emailing some friends or text messaging everyone you know. But put it out there because then people will come at you and go, hey, did you get that thing done, Matt? And you go, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I told people I was going to do this. i got to stick to this deadline. And that really has helped me over the years to say this project launches on this date, and people will sit there. They'll want to know when that thing is going live. They'll want to know what it is. They'll want to know how they can support it and support you. That works really well. I love that. I did, I did that with my uh, dissertation and my, my doctorate, and – it does help because then everybody's asking you, and all of a sudden yep. you have accountability. At least in yeah. my, it felt like my character was now in question. It does. It gives you, you know, a little bit of like an integrity check, yeah. right? Because if you don't put it out there, then no one can really say like, oh, you know, Matt doesn't get things done. But if you put it out there and you don't get it done, people be like, hmm, hey, Matt, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. You know, let's dive a little deeper. Why didn't we get this thing you done? You liar. You yeah. never do what you say you're going to do. You led us astray. Exactly. But I really believe I, be, I believe this can be really powerful. And, and I'll give uh, your listeners one other super tactical thing is I like to write myself future letters of encouragement. Hmm. Now, what does this mean? This sounds really weird. Um, I use a tool called followup.cc. It's totally free. That's the website. It's followup.cc. And what you can do is you can send yourself emails in the future. You can use it for lots of other things, but... So I'll send myself an email, and I'll just say, like, one month at followup.cc, and I'll just write in that email very simply, Jason, you got this. Get it done. How are your to-do list doing? What do you need help with? And I'll, I'll shoot that email off. Well, guess what? One month later, an email will appear in my inbox, and it will say exactly that message. Now, you think about that right now, and you're like, oh, that's silly. I don't need that right now. I'm working. I'm getting things done. Yeah, but what happens when you get to that wall and this email shows up? It's like, whoa, hey, who's this coach that just emailed me? It's you. Yeah. You wrote this ahead of time. So I do this sometimes for myself on like a two-week, four-week, you know, two-month basis. And it's just a simple little thing, but it's a reminder. It's a nudge for you to keep going. Well, and proactive. And it I mean, you don't have to write, dear diary. It doesn't have to be exactly. a huge thing. Just a few words of remember our goal. Remember the motivation. Why are we doing this? That's cool. Yes. And Boomerang's yeah, and like another tool, tool, right? You can you can use Boomerang. 
Yeah, boomerang is for Gmail. Follow up CC will work with anything. But Great. I really like what you said there. You know, bring back the why that you're doing it. Because so many times when we get stuck on projects, I think it's because we lose our vision for why we're doing something, who it's going to impact, how it's going to help people, how it's going to help ourselves and our family and maybe our businesses. And so I think if you can bring that why back up in many different ways, whether it's with a trust circle, whether it's with social media accountability, or whether it's with a tool like Follow Up CC, it can be really helpful for you to get that motivation again that you had when you first had the idea for whatever you want to do. Yeah. Now, I mean, what if, what if, as you look at this, Jason, like with me, I the last ten percent is hard. So when I read that, I'm like, yeah, it's like. I can let me get the big ideas, let me get the kind of middle sized ideas. But when we get into the minutia, for example, of finishing a book, maybe it's better mm-hmm. then to just hand it off, you know, or yeah, to you know, get it to someone yeah. else that can just, that is the finisher that, you know, can make it look pretty. You know, I have this little mantra for myself, and it's just outsource your weaknesses. And I, I've told it to myself years over years, and it's just, I find myself trying to do all these things that I'm not very good at and that someone else could do for a very nominal fee, yeah. just a favor. You know, you might even know somebody in your sphere who is an editor or a copy editor. We're talking specifically about a book, but maybe you also know someone who's a trainer. If you want to get back in shape or a nutritionist, you know, you'd be surprised at who's in your immediate kind of circle. And so I think if you can reach out to other people and lean on other people to help you with different parts of a project where you're really getting hung up, it can be so impactful and so helpful for you to get to that finish line. And like you said, you're at 90%. You're so close, but you just need someone else to help you get over these things that are really challenging for you. That last 10%, other people can really help you do that. Yeah. I mean, and I guess that's knowing yourself, right? Just know, yeah. know what you're good at. And it sounds like that's what one of the things that you've become really good at, Jason, is you, you got to be real. Quit being delusional about what you really can do. Yeah, a little bit of self-awareness can go a long way in finishing stuff. And listen, I was a prideful guy a couple years ago. I didn't want anyone's help on anything. I was going to do it all. And what I realized is that just led me to being overweight, overstressed, unhappy, and not enjoying the work that I was doing. And now what I just try and do is, again, as we talk about these to-do lists that I mentioned very early on in this, is I'll write down all this stuff. Oh, you know what? I have all these little things. I don't want to do this. This is not my specialty. This is not what I'm good at. But I know people who can do this for either free or a favor or just really cheap. And then I can get that off my plate and I don't even have to think about it. It just gets done and I move forward. Yeah. What do you do do to, um, because these are great ideas for like me. How do I get others to to take this advice? Uh, You sit them down and you have an intervention. That's Uh, what I'm thinking. It's like a husband or a wife, (laughs) a wife that saw her husband started a project and he just never finishes the project. You know, I think there's some real tricky stuff when it comes to relationships and and kind of work and projects. And I think you just have to be as supportive as possible. I I know with my girlfriend, you know, we are just very honest and we over communicate. You know, we really talk about you. We mentioned we go on these daily walks and these daily walks for us are really our time to kind of vent and, hey, what's wrong? What's going on? You know, what could be better? And we try and figure out a way to support each other first and know that, hey, our relationship is the most important thing. And these projects are secondary. And that really helps just to reframe it. You know, when you can say, this project is not the, the make or break thing. Our, our relationship is the make or break thing. And so if you have a significant other who you constantly see starting a project and never finishing it, you know, maybe sit them down and just say, hey, I just want to be here to help you. What's going on? You know, how, how could I help you? Is there anything I could, you know, jump in with on this project? Right. Or is there anybody we could talk to? And it does get a little bit tricky, but, you know, even if it's not a significant other, even if it's just a friend, you don't want to go at them with the, 
oh, you never get anything done. Because guess what's going to happen? They're going to resent you. And then they're not going to want your help or your feedback. You have to be supported first. That's so true. Isn't that – I mean, it just seems pretty basic, doesn't it? It's, it uh, does, but I think – I think we lose track of all the basic stuff with yeah. everything else that gets thrown at us in life. And, you know, I know I've needed reminders so many times. I appreciate this opportunity to be on your platform to give people the reminders that I've just kind of fallen into. And I think you bring up a lot of good points as well to this, that it's just going back to a lot of the roots of the simple stuff. But the simple stuff really works. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's why, you know, it's been around for generations. Is It just works. Before all this technology and all of these other opportunities we have, uh, you know, a to-do list has existed forever. Yeah. Even yeah. in our head. That's right? in stone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, uh, yeah, I think it's just really important to get back to the basics, but also find what works for you. You know, I, I want to make sure I bring that point up yeah. because I don't want people to think the way that I do things is the way that it has to be done. Listen, if you can use an app on your phone or whatever and you can really get a lot of stuff done – then own that. You know, use that thing. That is a that is a tool that is really helping you. But remember that all of these things are just tools. And right. there will be new tools. There will be other things to look at. Don't get caught up in the tool. Get caught up in focusing on how to get things done. Yeah. Jason Zook, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for your insight. And again, uh, we've been challenged by you, Jason, to do the 30-day challenge. Go outside for 10 to 15 minutes. And if, if it doesn't start creating creativity for you, you want to hear about it. I do. I want people to send me an email and be angry and tell me that it didn't work, but I have a feeling I'm not going to get many of those emails. <laughs> and where would they email you? They go, just go to jasondoesstuff.com and they can connect with you? Yeah, that would be great. It's great. Great stuff. Jason Zook, thanks so much. Thank you, Matt. Have a great walk today on the beach. Uh, thank you so much. I will. I wish I were there. Um, good stuff. Uh, isn't that fun? I mean, really, that's the, you hear the energy in Jason's life, actually, and uh, the creativity well, yeah, but he's got an easy life on the beach with a dog and a girlfriend. Um, he created that life. That's how this works, folks. We create that life. You create it right now. The life you're driving in and going to and working at, this life that you've created, it's yours. It's mine. We are all what we are. And, you know, some have been, I guess, blessed or given certain opportunities, some different opportunities. But in the end, I think what Jason's telling us is there's a choice to make, and uh, let's just start this morning, or let's start today with a to-do list. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion on the other side of the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you live longer and hopefully get over the wall. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, great insight there on how to get stuff done by Jason Zook. Let's check in now with our very own Jeffrey Simpson. Jeff, how's your project on procrastination going? It's great. You know, I've, I've had a lot of time to think about it, and I even wrote something about procrastination that I think is very important. Okay. Uh, something I came up with. You pile up enough tomorrows. And you'll find you are left with nothing but a lot of empty yesterdays. I don't know about you, but I'd like to make today worth remembering. You came up with that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds familiar. It sounds... I've heard that before. Well, I mean, good. that's how good quotes often feel to the listener. You know, you... So... 
that feels like uh, a line from a show tune or something. Where, where did you I'm, get that quote? You say you made it up, but I think – Well, that, I, I looked it up. Oh, you looked it up. I looked it up. I, I thought I said that. I, I didn't hear that. Hmm. So you looked it up. But this is from where? Oh, this is from the Music Man. Uh, it, it might be. I don't know. So you, you're in order to fight procrastination, you just went and stole something from somebody else and then claimed it. Well, in my defense, uh, the discussion I remember about this was very different than you described it as this morning. And I, you were supposed to do a project. I thought it was due tomorrow. An in-depth and- review of procrastination. And instead, you just keep saying that you'll get to it tomorrow. Well, I think what I've done here has been of some worth. Finding a quote from the music man. So you'll have that by the end of the show then, right? Did you learn anything from Jason? Make a list, put it on the list, get it done. Get her done. I, I wasn't listening. What were you doing? I'd like to say that I was looking up uh, stuff for this assignment. Well, I'd so like to say that. You'd like to say that. You just can't say that because that's not what was happening. Okay. I'm with you, brother. Whatever. <sighs> okay. Any, you got anything for us, Terry? Yes. Uh, you've heard of the uh, Jared, the jeweler sale. You know, the, yeah, the, the Gallery of The Gallery jewelry. of Jewelry, yeah. So it's a national jewelry sales company. They, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're having a bit of a downturn mm-hmm. in sales, down uh, 7.6% same-store sales versus last quarter, right? So they're okay. saying there's a downturn. Yeah. Much of the malaise, they say, comes from 24 locations in Texas, which accounts for half of the decline, something analysts are tied to the oil glut. Oh, really? So in Texas, they have a lot of oil industries. There's less money overall, so there's less purchasing happening. And they're saying industry analysts say it's because of the price of oil. But the uh, the chief of the company that owns Jared says they blame it on the presidential campaign season (laughs) that has scared couples into closing their checkbooks. And not just for Jared, but industry-wide, they're seeing a downturn in the sales of engagement rings. Huh. So the presidential candidates are they're 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 hurting the marriage. Uh, this guy Mark world. Light is the chief executive officer of Signet, which, which owns the company Jared. He says that uh, people getting married, they just want to see some stability and understand what's going on as a whole in the world, and not what and especially what's going on with the presidential election. They see instability, people don't feel comfortable, and so they don't make these life choices huh. and move forward. So that's kind of scary. I don't know if that's true, but he seems to think that's the uh, an well, issue that's hurting his company at the moment. When in doubt, blame it on Trump and Hillary. An update from last week. Uh, North Carolina has been having some clown problems. Yes. They've been seeing clowns in wooded areas, and there's reports of offering money for the kids to come follow me, that kind of thing. And uh, cops are seeking a suspect with a white overalls, red shoe, red bushy hair, a white face, red nose, after the latest string of disturbing clown sightings in the Carolinas. And the uh-huh. latest incident... Police in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, said they uh, the suspect tried to lure kids into the woods with treats near a residential area Sunday night. So last night, this was reported. Wow. Officers say the clown apparently fled the area when they turned up. They said the suspect was seen by two children and was heard but not seen by an adult in the area. Jeez. Hours later, a second caller responded 
in the same way. Police say a search of the woods turned up no evidence of any clowns, but they have stepped up patrols in that neighborhood. Spooky clowns. So the clown hunt is on to find out who these people are. Wow. It's all in the music. This is scary kind of clown music. And finally. What? You're always looking for things to watch on Netflix. Yeah. You always say, what are you watching? And I tell you, and you're like, yeah, you know, it's not really what I like. I'm not into that. Out of Norway, there is a brand, or Scandinavia, there's a brand of TV called Slow TV. If you go to Netflix, go to the search function, type in Slow, you'll see four offerings that pop up for Slow TV. One is called the National Knitting Event. Oh, brother. It's four hours unedited of people knitting in Norway. Seems too slow. Uh, six hours of the National Firewood Night. There's a brief two-minute tutorial about how to properly stack firewood. Sure, sure. And then the rest of the time is watching firewood burn. Now, I looked last night. There is a morning, afternoon, and evening version of said National Firewood Night. What? Who has time to watch fire burn? And the, the one that I – and there's one called Train Ride Bergen to Oslo. You get to ride a train across Norway. And you just have a camera watching the landscape? It starts with four minutes in a, in a tunnel that's dark. You just see the end of the tunnel, and then the train starts moving, and then you just travel the countryside of Norway wow. for four hours. You know, we've watched the uh, – we don't have a fireplace, so we've turned on that fireplace movie on Netflix. Yep. Did Have you? Was it romantic? You can watch it with or without music. Wow. So um, there's one they don't mention in this article. It's a cruise ship, yeah, and you get to see the fjords and all the different areas. So it's kind of pretty, but it's like four hours of just nothing happening. Uh, my wife would kill the me. The latest one they want to do is a Lapander family as they guide thousands of reindeer through their migration from winter to summer pasture. If you want to follow with drones and yeah. <sighs> People turn it on and do their laundry. This they is say. why we're procrastinating. <laughs> Is this what you do, Jeff? You just watch the fire burn instead of doing your pro- your project for the show? Well, that's – yeah, okay. if if I'm being honest. Well, Sl- at least I'm honest. Yeah. So try it out, Matt. Slow TV. Slow TV. I'll look it up. Slow TV. Man, my wife, I'd have a slow death if she saw me watching. I mean it's one thing to watch a show and you're just binge watching. It's another when you're binge watching fire logs. Mm-hmm. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, Julie Nelson will be with us next hour. A little parenting 101 for us. Plus our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter. At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to hour number three of the Matt Townsend program. Happy post-Labor Day Tuesday. Hope you're all back at it. Football season started. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation today. Yes. And it won't all be Big 12 talk. No. Some little 12 talk. Possibly. And the Cougars. They won with a field goal from a true blue freshman. For some reason. 
for some reason. Because they had a guy that they tapped as kind of the starter, and he performed well earlier in the game. It didn't miss they, a field goal. He missed a field goal. I don't think he did. He missed a point after. Oh, he missed a point after. If that was that's the right. same did guy. They, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's why they pulled him. Ah. I don't know. I didn't read to find out. They would have played me, but I I hurt my leg. Really? Pulled a hammy? Pulled. Or a something? Pulled something. I've got my I've got some moons over my hammy wow. right now. You went to Denny's. That's a good yeah, breakfast. It's a great breakfast. Breakfast of champions. Today we got a big show for you. Uh, today is read a book day. Gotta keep reading. Cause this book's gonna be a good book. Oh yeah, book. that's a good song. Cause this book's gonna be yeah. a no. good book. It's gonna be a good book. Cause this book's gonna be a it's good, gonna be a good, good book. Good book. I always have a hard time with that. How do you know a book's going to be good? Well, that lady just told us. Yeah, but you, you see the cover art, and they're just trying to manipulate you into buying a book Yeah, that might be bad. Well, but then they'll make a movie. That's how you know if it was good, because they make a movie out of it. Not really. And then all those movies are obviously good. I think it, a lot is in the title, too. Like if you pick up a book called The Making of Donald Trump, yeah. you know it's going to be a good book. We talked about that in hour number one of the program. So if you missed it... And you want to know kind of the behind-the-scenes, the inside scoop of the Donald. Pulitzer Prize-winning author walked us through a lot of facts. that they're, It's stuff you don't really want to know. But it, it goes to character. It goes to character or the lack thereof. Decision-making. It goes to mm-hmm. things he's done and you're like, okay, why? Oh, that's interesting. It was very interesting and – and then He's you see, 28 years, this this yeah. investigative journalist has been studying Donald Trump's life yeah, and his casino work and how much his net worth really is. And it's interesting. Makes you wonder. Even gets into some mafia ties. Yeah. Whereas that was rumored before and he says they're not rumor. Well, and Russian ties. And there's Russian, Chinese ties. Chinese ties. Family ties. That's a show. Sorry. Doesn't Donald make his ties in China? That's the China tie. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's got ties in China. Ties no, there, in there's some of that uh, speculation as to why he doesn't want to release his taxes is because it'll show that he's in debt to the Chinese National Bank and to, as, as our guest said, Russian oligarchs. Yeah. Who, and he's very right in what he said, that the reason those billion, multi-billionaires in Russia have that money is because Vladimir Putin said they could. They, he lets him keep that money. Yeah. Or he would take it. And he's told them, you get to have the money because we gave it to you. If you don't work with me, you're not going to have your money. That's a guy that's making money is Putin. Vlad? Oh, he's he's suspected to be a multi-billionaire after being president for so long. Which is weird because you'd think public servant. Mm, Different system. Yeah. (laughs) Totally different system. Today is read a book day. It's also flight procrastination day. Um. Sorry, fight procrastination. Some people put off glare. taking flights too. Yeah. Certain certain planes, you know, have to be checked before they can take off. It's called flight P- procrastination day. Hey, have you been coming on your project? We asked you to do a project about a week ago. We emailed you throughout the weeks. You were supposed to put together a, a project, just just a little review of procrastination and what what are the keys. I thought the project was the Comic-Con package. No. No. That was another project. 
So some of these kind of just bleed into the others, and they all it's sound the same. Working. It's not working. I don't know if this is going to happen today, Terry. We just probably have to be less passive aggressive about it and just talk to him directly about okay. his procrastination. We'll I talk. thought it was flight procrastination day, so I purposely didn't take a flight. Okay, you put that off. We'll have okay. to deal. We'll have to deal with this later. That's good. As we put um, it off. But first, before we get into <laughs> all of this craziness, we're going to do the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's up? Thanks, Matt. Fox has settled with former host Gretchen Carlson. We'll pay her $20 million in the lawsuit she filed against ex-CEO Roger Ailes over the sexual harassment allegations. The suit filed just two months ago spurred a number of other highly publicized claims, the internal investigation, and then Ailes' eventual resignation from Fox News. Despite all that, Roger Ailes still denies all allegations. Wow. In other news, Greta Van Susteren, who is a host on Fox News, she is leaving the network after 14 years. No word as to why she is leaving. Hopefully no relation to the other issues Hopefully going on. Hopefully not, but that's the speculation. Yeah. And Britt Hume is going to be an anchor He's there. going to take over. Okay. Hillary Clinton said Monday she has no plans to accept an invitation to visit Mexico following Donald Trump's headline-making visit there last week in an excerpt from an interview with ABC News that aired this morning. They asked her. She said, uh, no. <laughs> well, she was she su- said succinct. That she, she said that she intends to focus on creating jobs here at home to make sure Americans have the best possible opportunities for the future. Yeah. You know, so a political answer. But essentially, no, I'm not going to Mexico. D- did she say that on her airplane? Um, I don't know where that in- interview okay. took place. Yeah, I bet it it's was. It's a good question. Because if she answered a question, it was on her airplane. It's a new airplane. She might as well get some use right. out of it. Uh, now considered a post-tropical cyclone, the storm that drenched the Atlantic seaboard throughout Labor Day weekend is expected to leave New York City and surrounding area, coastal areas unscathed. Instead, Hermine will veer east, hitting Long Island, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts. Winds of up to 50 miles an hour developed in Nantucket and Cape Cod, and uh, tides surged as much as five feet in Virginia, up through New Jersey. So, yeah. Storms. Hermine. Hermine. I like Hermione better. Yeah. Yeah. Hermine. No, her not mean. Her nice. And finally, some good news. The International Union of the uh, for the Confer- Conservation of Nature said in a report released Sunday that the giant panda is now classified as vulnerable instead of endangered. Oh, good. Right? So it's their, their prospects are looking better. It says the population of giant pandas jumped from 1,800 in 2014 from 1,500 in 2004, and the results of work, uh, work by Chinese agencies to enforce poaching bans and expand forest reserves. So they're trying to bring this animal back, and it's working. So vulnerable is a step above endangered. Ex- yeah. Which is a step above extinct. Yeah. You still can't hunt them, Matt. Okay. But, you know. But... I'd rather feel vulnerable than endangered. Panda's alive and well. I mean, they've got one just down the street, just down the hill from us. No, they're not talking about the restaurant. Oh, okay. You thought they were talking about the restaurant? I must have been like halfway in that conversation. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. You probably were procrastinating. Anyway, don't want to be rude. Hey, uh, Faf, did you hear about this? A A guy tries to pawn some items back that he stole from a pawn shop owner's house. In our Bad Boys segment, listen to this. Talk about bad luck. Two people were arrested after they tried to pawn items at a Tennessee pawn shop that belonged to the pawn shop owner. According to the report from the police, Jeremy Allen Watts, 30, and Jessica Fahidi, 24, visited a pawn shop with several items to pawn. The pawn owner and victim, Edward Dial, recognized the items and went home. 
uh, and went home. There he noticed that someone had broken into his residence and taken several items. According to the police report, Watts and Heedy tried to pawn two PlayStation video game systems, controllers, video games, and DVDs. The property was valued at more than $1,000. That's bad luck. I am the smart. S-M-R-T. I mean, S-M-A-R-T. <laughs> oh, those guys thought they had it made. We made so much loot. And then... Hey, is that my fur coat? Well, yes, it is. Also, an 11-year-old boy steals a bus. This is crazy. A youngster who seems to dream of becoming a bus driver decided to go on a bit of a joyride. In Germany, the schoolboy had apparently stumbled upon the key of uh, a bus lying on the street a few weeks ago. While he uh, privately owned a vehicle, it was parked and no longer in use. So the young lad climbed onto the bus and was seen driving down the street to a bus stop to pick up passengers. He took this private bus and then turned it into a money-making opportunity. Yes. I hope he wasn't charged with anything. The boy had managed to deceive at least three passengers into coming on board. Eventually, however, witnesses took note of the boy's young age and poor driving skills and reported him to police. Officers were able to stop the little uh, rogue driver and eventually turned him over to his mother. 11-year-old boy. Just being entrepreneurial. How old were you when you snuck into a car and drove it? Um, I will go with 12. 12? Yeah. First time. My sisters used to have me move the cars in our driveway so I would pull a car out so they could get out, and then I'd pull it back in. So it was, I was probably a little older than that. I was, but by the time of 14, I was driving my friend's car, who was 16. So this is as about as rebellious as I get. It's probably maybe 15 and a half. Yeah. And uh, I took our car, and I drove it around the block. I listened to the music and thought I was really cool, and then I just— Put it back in the in the parking lot or the did you really the driveway? How old were you? Fifteen and a half. Wow. So I, you were a good boy. I'm bad. That's not bad. That's you're a good boy. I was stealing cars all the time. Just my family's, of course. So were you hot wiring them or were you stealing the keys? No, my sisters would sleep in late, and I just go borrow their car, and then. Uh, one time the car stalled and it uh, it overheated. So I was stuck with a car that had overheated and I had to get the car home. But I had to let it cool down. So I was dying. And then I, you know, just how I work. Just magic. Not a big deal. I've been stealing cars. Never in my life have I stole a bus. And I don't think they should be mad at this kid. This is a boy that always wanted to be a bus driver. So, made it happen. At 11 years old, how many other people can say that? Right. And the dream obviously was came, became a reality because they made a song after his ex- escapade, I Believe I Can Fly. I mean, this is so great. I would have this song playing while I'm making my stops on my route. He picked up three people, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I wonder what he charged him. 
Do you have a token? Buck and a quarter. I actually used to, I wanted to be a mailman forever. And I used to take pine cones and put them in people's mailboxes. Until my grand, that, that was when I was at my grandma's for the summer. But then they got returned because they didn't have the correct postage on yeah. them. And all the neighborhood, the neighbors to my grandparents complained that their mailboxes were full of pine cones. I used to be a policeman. I used to ticket cars on our street. Trying to collect money that way. I pretended to be an EMT once on my mom's four-poster bed. Wow. We used to pretend to play library. Oh. And we never knew what that metal thing that they slid the the binder of the book against. We never knew what that did, but we always recreated that part of it, too. Friction. Just, yeah, you're trying to, yeah. And then Terry was telling us earlier about how he just would play doctor and stuff like that. Nope. Not true. You said you used to want to be a podiatrist. No. Just not work, an interest of mine. Work with people's feet. Nope. Never never had that conversation with you. And just rub the feet. Plantar. Nope. Stretch those toes out. Not something I've ever said. Ever. Not on the air, that's for sure. <laughs> just making stuff up. Good stuff. Good stuff, folks. We'll take a break. When we come back, Julie K. Nelson will be with us. The Bomb Mom, the Child Whisperer. Today she's going to be talking about the power of smells. Holy cow. Nothing more true than that line right there. The power of smells. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us in the studio today... Julie K. Nelson, also known as the Bomb Mom and the Child Whisperer. You made up those names. I, I didn't No, that's what you said you wanted us to call you. <laughs> no. Call me the Bomb no, Mom. No, I did not. No, it's true. And you uh, you also are the – you have a website, a spoonfulofparenting.com. Mm-hmm. And two p- books out that are on parenting. You've, you've got it all. Mm-hmm. And today, for some reason, you wanted to talk about smells. Yes. Now, when, when I think of parenting and smells – not a good subject. We're going to bring it around because, okay, you know, there are a lot of smells. And, and a lot of it has to do with evoking memories from our childhood. Yeah. Right? So, like, if you, Matt, just kind of meditate here for a moment. Um, okay. Eyes closed. If you had the smell of homemade bread right now under your nose, what mm, childhood memory would that evoke? What emotion would you feel? Yeah, just yummy. Mm-hmm. Is that an emotion? Yummy. Well, you know, comfort, right? Mm. Mom loves me. Just going to bed every night with a warm loaf of milk, loaf of bread, and a glass of milk. <laughs> How about um, the smell of popcorn? What does a memory does that evoke? Uh, binging on Netflix. <laughs> How about pine trees? Uh, delivering mail or pine cones at my grandma's house. Oh, as a child. Oh, uh-huh. I used to deliver pine cones to all the neighbors. So what research finds is if you take a whiff of pine cones, it'll immediately take evoke me that. Back take to you grandma's. back. It's so powerful. It's one of the most powerful sensory uh, cognitive connections. I believe that. Mm-hmm. How about the smell of coffee? What does that do for you? It reminds me of my father mm-hmm. and a Santa Claus that had coffee breath. And I thought, <laughs> good grief. It smells like he just ate a handful of coffee beans. 
You know, yeah. these things are so powerful because they go straight to your neuroreceptors uh-huh. in your brain. Um, and you have a lot of strong reactions to smells, good and bad. Favorite smells, worst smells, right? No. Oh. And of the five senses, smell is the most closely tied to memory and emotion. Really? And that's why the perf- perfume industry, perfumes are so built around connection because they want to evoke this this sense of, um, so you know. Almost any perfume reminds me of my grandma, my nana. Mm. Because she wore a lot of perfume. Mm-hmm. And they do things that are supposed to smell like your uh, pheromones, you know, like uh-huh. the, you, the sex hormones so that yeah. you're going to be attracted to somebody. But also like you've heard about people who've lost a loved one and then the, the body scent that's left in their clothing, mm. they just can't get rid of that piece they of clothing. They keep smelling They it. keep smelling it to remind them of their loved one. Yeah. It's just such a strong connection. Cool. Um, and on a personal level, I mean, they've done a lot of research on just how people are attracted to each other based on smell. Um, <laughs> that body odor produced by your genes can help subconsciously choose your partners. Kissing is thought that by some scientists to have developed from sniffing that that first kiss being essentially a primal behavior during which we smell and taste our partner decide if they're a match. Yeah. Ew. This could be the chemistry of matching up, of, of finding if your hormones and their hormones but are... that could get a little creepy. Yeah. Interesting, right? Your, your boyfriend's sure weird. He sure sniffs you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing I want to tie to get today is see, here is this happy smell. Look at this. I brought you it. Brought us. I made it this morning. <gasps> smell. Mm. Ooh, they're warm. Yeah. You want to smell those, Jeffrey? Mm-hmm. Those are um, cinnamon rolls. And have you given us these before? I have. Long time ago, you know. Have you ever gone? Back that memory. Have you are, are, have you ever walked down the mall and smelt cinnabon? I mean, it's yes. like you do a it's like you do a whole hundred and eighty. It's like you can't stop. No. the smells draw you in. I like to take them on airplanes and then not eat them, but just sit <laughs> with them right there and then watch everybody walk by. It's just killer, right? <laughs> it changes your behavior. Yeah. You can't stop but walk into that store. But that's it. Like these, the the real estate agents that'll make cookies or something. Mm-hmm. As they're showing a house. Absolutely. So let's, it feels like let's talk about how it changes behavior today. And research that shows that smells evoke not only motion, but also attraction. And it is something that's thought to really change behavior. So, one thing that's just, I just brought to my attention by um, a BYU professor, um, Katie Lindquist from the BYU Merritt, Merritt School of Management. She was a lead author in a piece called, in, well, it's a piece in Psychological Science, that people are unconsciously fairer and more generous when they're in clean-smelling environments. And um, what she did was she um, showed dramatic improvement in ethical behavior with mm. just a few spritzes of, of citrus-scented Windex. Really? Yeah. So... They're more ethical, they're more moral, they're cleaner. <laughs> Basically, I think the premise behind all this that she proved is is that when you're in a cleaner environment and you have the smells that evoke happy thoughts, happy memories, you're going to behave better. Wow. So this is what they did. I find this really fascinating. It's, it's implications for workplaces and retail stores and as well as the home mm. and in se- security measures and in, in traditional surveillance just with cameras. Um, because not only smells, but just the way you way things make you feel. Did you hear about the research that was done in subways, underground subways, where they played classical music, you oh, know, uh, and crime just went down, you know, and they got rid of the graffiti. Yeah. It was clean, <laughs> and they played over the over the speakers classical music. Well, they didn't have to serve, do any surveillance anymore. Everyone That's was just walking great. around happy and help each other out. And they ought to use some of that Windex down there, and then it'd be <laughs> perfect. Um, so she said that um, companies often employ heavy-handed interventions 
interventions to regulate conduct, but they can be costly or oppressive. Um, this uh, this is a very simple, unobtrusive way to promote ethical behavior. Hmm. Um, and it's, she said, and this is what I want to connect today as well, it's not just the workplace but the home. She said, Linquist said, could be that getting our kids to clean up their rooms might help them clean up their acts too. That's cool. So what she did is she had participants engage in, engage in several tasks, the only difference being that some worked in unscented rooms while others worked in rooms freshly spritzed with the Windex, the citrus, yeah. because lemon is very – you know, laboratory research finds the olfaction – there's an olfaction and physiological connection. In other words, lemon significantly increases perception of your own health and well-being – Lavender and eucalyptus increases respiratory rate and alertness. Mm. Rose oil reduces your blood pressure and um, a rapid development of um, of health. And that's what aromatherapy is all about. You know, the the business now is aromatherapy. Right. You smell this stuff, right? I've got some right here. How does this make you feel just smelling mm. this? Mm. <laughs> Uh, it what sh- is that? It should increase your respiratory rate and your alertness. Oh, it did so that. If, if you ever start to doze during this show, just yeah. just do a little whiff. It was lavender, <sighs> essential lavender. oils. But <sighs> essential oils is like big now. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So this, this is the first one. <laughs> the first, um, the citrus, the lemon, right? The first experiment evaluated fairness. So subjects received twelve dollars of real money that was allegedly given by an anonymous donor. And they had to split it up with their partner and divide it fairly. Subjects in clean-scented rooms returned a significantly higher amount of money, and on an average of $5.33, to their partner Hmm. over those in unscented rooms who only gave their partner $2.81. Really? So they ripped off their partner if they weren't in nice-smelling rooms. That's weird. Mm Mm-hmm. No, but But, I believe – it's so subconscious, right? Your brain just – it might be thinking of, you know, spring cleaning at your mom's house growing up. And happy memories and just well-being, overall well-being. If I'm feeling good about myself and I have smells to evoke that, I'm going to do good to other people. Yeah, that's I feel really good. Yeah. The second part of the experiment was um, evaluate whether clean scents would encourage charitable, charitable behavior. Subjects indicated their interest in volunteering with a campus organization for a Habitat for Humanity service project and their interest in donating funds to the cause. 22% of the Windexed room participants said that they would like to donate money compared to only 6% in the normal room. So the rule then is Windex up your room. And people will if be you're nicer. A charity. Mm-hmm. And like when you go door to door with a charity, just spray <laughs> in their face. A little <laughs> just spray that and just say, smell that. And they followed up questions confirming that the participants didn't notice the scent in the room and that their mood at the time didn't affect the outcome. That's so strange. But yeah. tell you you I believe it. I mean and now wait till all the retailers figure all this out. They do, and they do. The, uh, they do, like you said. They, they play the music. They play the music, and, the... and they have the smells. That's why when you walk into the gre- the big box stores, what's the first counter you see? The perfume counter. Oh, is that is that right? Oh, yeah, like yeah, the big. Mm-hmm. It's right there because it, it just brings in all the smells. And if you go into really nice upscale stores, you can smell it. There's really this s- subtle like scent, and then it's like I need to spend some money here. Mm-hmm. It smells like Windex. i got to pick up some Windex. <laughs> okay, we'll take a break. More with Julie K. Nelson and her website. Go check it out, a spoonfulofparenting.com. It's where you can get all of this information about smells, but more importantly about parenting. 
Two great books, Parenting with Spiritual Power and Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood with Julie K. Nelson. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Food. Glorious. Nothing. It smells and food, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Oh. One thing we can do is to have our, our homes smelling of good things to invite our kids home. Hmm. Um, that's one thing you can kind of evoke, like, like the Cinnabon idea mm-hmm. where people just like are drawn to that store. What does cash smell like? Because <laughs> my kids will always come home for cash. <laughs> So they yeah. come over. Dad, I need twenty dollars. Yeah, have have something smelling in your oven or some mm. cooked food. I don't care if it's takeout or not, but it will help them to feel more like I need to go home for dinner, and then that produces a lot more positive outcomes That's as families. So it's just having you know that that smell of dinner time. Um, and if not, if we're just going out to grab things, then there's not quite that pull to be together as a family. What what if uh, because that's too like. You you know what your grandma smelled like. You know what – like I had a relative that would always give me cookies, but they were stale because they never had kids over. <laughs> so <laughs> I learned to sniff out stale pretty early yeah. in my life. But – and then I, I know the smell. It's like fire, wood burning. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of Argentina when I lived there or – Yeah, and I have a really strong connection with this fire burning, the bomb fire smoke thing. Yeah. I was in my backyard and I could smell it for Labor Day, you know, the whole barbecue thing. And it just takes me back to camping. And I camped a lot as a youth and I loved camping. I just go back to the woods in my mind and I just have – whenever I smell that, I have happy memories. Isn't that cool? Um, so you can really create that in your families of of – not only building the memories and connecting it with you, but also if you want to draw them home or like we talked about with cleaning with that research. If I want to just have my kids feel a little bit about, about cleaning, um, have your home with happy scented smells like lemons and things. Mm-hmm. And the Windex, she even said, yeah. citrus smelling. Or candles. Now a lot of people are burning candles. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Just to just to kind of um, not only uh, create ethical behavior, like they said, and fairness, but also just wellness and, and wanting to clean up. Um, and if you clean up your rooms and their rooms are clean, your house is cleaner, they will produce better. So we have a lot of heavy-handed parents who, you know, do your chores or do your homework or be nice to your sister. And why are you always, you know, walking around moody? If we just perhaps look at our environment, mm-hmm. the cleanliness of our environment and the smell of the environment, and uh, they say that you know smoke does mask a lot of smells, and so if your home is uh, filled with the, the tobacco smoke, then that might mask some of the oh, better the smells. smells. Yeah, so maybe think about reversing that, where you have more of the these smells that research shows evo- evoke happy behavior, wellness, and and that citrus. Mm-hmm. What other s- well, smells? Well, they they happen to do citrus flavored or, or scented, but let me tell you about some other ones. This is really interesting. Um, odors affect our our mood. Rachel Hertz, from the uh, a professor of psychology from Brown University, um, because scent is so powerfully linked to memory, it causes us to act based on our past experiences with that odor. So she's saying, why does it of, of uh, odor affect our mood? Well, she calls it associative learning, where you know it's like 
you you have a smell and all of a sudden evoke, like for example, cinnamon rolls, and all of a yeah. sudden I salivate. Oh yeah. Why is that? It's just a response. And this is an interesting study in the in the mid '60s in Britain, Great Britain, adults adult respondents were asked to rate on a battery of odors, which one they liked the best to the worst. It was re- replicated in the '70s in the U.S. Guess what the outcome was on what? on the scent of wintergreen. Huh. Wintergreen was one of the lowest pleasant odors yeah. in Great Britain. And in the U.S., it was the highest rated pleasant odor. Why? Because Britain uses wintergreen in their medicine. Oh, So yes. they associate it with something medicinal. Totally. In the U.S., what do we use wintergreen for? Gum. Yeah, candy. You know? Yeah. Yeah mints and stuff. And so we have this happy... So it could be also that when we're chewing on breath mints or gum, it also releases that smell that makes us feel happier. Oh, wow. So yeah, you could use it as a Mm-hmm. Kind of an antidepressant. Yeah, well, if you're in work and you need to pick me up, right. try something like that. Something with a scent that makes your that, that triggers your brain. That's to cool. Have, idea. Um, yeah. Okay. So here's a positive mood that's linked to productivity. I mean, a positive mood is linked to productivity, performance, and a tendency to be helpful, like our our uh, research from BYU. Um, people exposed to the smell of baking baking cookies, like you said, yeah. they've done research on that. Or roasting coffee, roasting coffee, are more inclined to help a stranger than if they have no odor. <laughs> so, if you have you smell like cookies, <laughs> if can you I have, help you across the street? Exactly. You know, you just you do. That's great. What you are linked in your in yeah. your childhood, we were taught to do to be kind and helpful. Isn't and, that just so? Boy, you could be manipulated. <laughs> <laughs> it's like grandma's always cooking something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe but... if you have something in the morning that's something smelling that's good, then the kids will wake up in a better mood and wanting to get off and do something productive for the day. Yeah. I went to a meeting at church once and a guy walked in smelling like pancakes. <laughs> and I'm like, it was 7 a.m. in the morning. I'm thinking, when did you guys have pancakes? Those You smell good. Well, when I bake, when I do bacon, and my son is in love with bacon, and when I do bacon, and of course the odors get in my clothing, he he follows me around the house. He just wants to smell bacon. <laughs> Mommy. <laughs> he smells so good. <laughs> so sad. Um, but these are some smells. Um, the roasting coffee people love because of associative, you yeah. know, um, learning. And then the cookies, the bread, the, the citrus smelling. And people working around air fresheners report higher self efficacy, they set higher goals for work, and they're more efficient. Wow. Um, so in the workplace, if you perhaps employers want to produce better workers, think about the smells in the, in, the, in the environment. And in your homes, think about how you can get your kids to maybe behave better and do better yeah. um, and be fair, more fair. And maybe instead of just thinking about the smells of cookies, like bring real cookies. Because <laughs> I can see a lot of people like... Yeah, turn on the cookie candles. We need these people producing, but just bring cookies. Mm-hmm. Like you brought food. Yeah, I brought food. Yeah. That's going to help. I hope you're going to leave it. I am. You didn't just bring it to tease Just to us. tease you. No, no. I found this is really interesting. In, the, in a Las Vegas casino, this just cracked me up. The amount of money gambled in slot machines increased by 45% when the site was odorized with a pleasant smell. They got really? people. They manipulated people to to yeah. gamble more. They were more hopeful. I can do this. I just forty five percent more. That is weird. Something smells fishy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened. The minute we had Salmon Day, all of the gambling stopped. <laughs> 
That's crazy. Well, it makes sense, right? Yeah. Makes sense. And it's memory is tied to the memories. So if we want good memories, we have to have good smells. Yeah. So, bad memories, bad smells. Yeah, and associative learning. And so if you want more production where you're not um, becoming too heavy-handed on your kids and nagging, produce a better environment of cleanliness and smelling um, that will that will um, trigger their brain, yeah. basically what it's saying, to feel more hopeful, more productive, more um, ethical. That's and that's easy. And lots. This is not just one researcher. It's this is the yeah, recent that, one. Named three the or recent four or five one then. by BYU. But there's. I went back and looked, and there's a lot more that just really do um, support that, and they'll have the same results. Julie K. Nelson's her name. A spoonful of parenting is her website. A spoonful of parenting dot com, and apparently a spritz of Windex helps make the medicine go, go down. down. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well done, Julie. Thank you so much, folks. Go check out her books. Uh, there's really she's 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 prolific. She's doing a lot of writing. Parenting with spiritual power and keep it real and grab a plunger. Julie K. Nelson's her name. We'll take a break. Come back visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Mm, talk about smelling good. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. They did it, folks. BYU's opening game. They did it. And now let's shoot it down to our good buddies, Spencer and Jeremy, at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Rivalry week. Sports. Sports. You guys, they won. And it's rivalry. Why, rivalry. Rivalry, rivalry week. Well, that's week. right. We couldn't talk yesterday because Westbrook. <laughs> you had the day off and we didn't. Yeah, you guys. Yeah. It was an exciting week. You oh know, goodness. they won. They did it. Dramatic fashion. Yeah. All it took was Great an 18-year-old walk-on freshman who had never attempted a collegiate kick. Man, talk about pressure. Luckily, he made it. Otherwise, yeah. this would be super awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Can you imagine? Who's that guy? Well, and he missed? And then Sunday, he turns in his mission papers to leave on an LDS mission. Jake the Make Old I hope he's, quote, called to serve, unquote, in Tucson, that would be awesome. Oh, that would be very... <laughs> like, remember me? Hello, everybody. Hey, hey, what do you think? Was um, was it a uh, was it a pretty enough victory? Do they look... How do they look? Every win is beautiful, Matt. Yeah, it is. It's true. That's true. It's, it's like your children. Like, they may not win the beauty contest. Some are a little uglier than others. beautiful to you. <laughs> yeah, and some are better looking than us, straight up. Every Absolutely. win over a Power 5 team is beautiful. That's Except over Indiana. That can be ugly. Right. But other than Indiana... <laughs> Amazing. What, what do you think about um, the, this next opponent? The, the Utes, big game for BYU. This is Today a we'll big game. Today we'll discuss how Kalani Satake has affected the rivalry. The tone of the rivalry is shifting. Mm-hmm. To a healthier, happier tone. More respectful. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if Jerem feels like it's happier. It might be healthier. <laughs> Listen, uh, here's, here's my overall take on this. It's... It's what Kalani Satake is doing is nice. He spent more time at Utah than he did BYU. He has great respect for that program. He said that he'll never speak poorly of Utah ever because they were so great to him, right? Yeah, right. Um, all of this, and, and that's really um, classy. Mature and classy yeah. and respectful. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, all, but the, the rivalry won't actually change until BYU wins. 
Right. So BYU's lost five games in a row. They need to win, and then there's some semblance of balance in the force, if you will, between BYU and Utah. For now, it's been all Utah the last five games, spanning six years. Mm. I mean, there is a point that it's just a bunch of hype until you win, right? The rivalry so. becomes much more interesting when both sides are ultra-competitive and it's back and forth. That said, just because Utah has won five in a row doesn't make it not a rivalry. Mm-hmm. Do you think? How do you think they will do? I mean, come on. What do you think? After seeing the— after seeing, the spread offense after seeing the defense hold like they did. What do you think? I think that BYU is in position, in a better position, to win this game than they have been in quite a while. Sweet. Even though it's in Salt Lake City, yeah. just because of what Utah is trying to break in. Um, their offensive line had some issues against uh, Southern Utah, and I know it was a lower division opponent, and it was week one, and it was ug- ugly, but they still won. This BYU defense is going to present some significant challenges to that Utah offensive line, but they had the luxury of playing in front of their home crowd, mm-hmm. and uh, they have a pretty good quarterback, even though he's young to the Division One level. So, I, it's again, it's another intriguing question mark field game, but I think BYU, I think a three-and-a-half-point favorite for, for Utah right now is, is a fair assessment. Yeah, I think it'll be a good game. Fifteen of the last 18 have been decided by seven or less. It's been 10 years since BYU won. It's like 20 years since BYU won by more than seven against Utah. So just winning would be enough for BYU fans, given the fact they've lost the last five games. I think if BYU can avoid turning it over five times in the first quarter, they've got a shot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was their last If it's only four times, maybe they'll win. (laughs) In fact, we'll tell you the role that turnovers have played in the rivalry and how bad BYU has been. They, and it's they, been bad, Matt. They've like, been on the bad end of the turnover bad. stick. That's it's, it's just dumb. I'd be surprised if BYU had a lower or worse turnover margin against any team in a five game span ever. Really? We'll share you. It's we'll share the bad. numbers with you it's coming. That up. bad. Well, and interestingly, Kalani Sataki was coaching a lot of those teams that were creating those turnovers. He turned BYU over quite a bit. Yeah, and, oh. and the good news is BYU did not turn the ball over on offense Saturday. Pretty conservative offense, like this place. Uh, And then defensively, BYU created two turnovers. So BYU was plus two, yet it came down to a game-winning drive for BYU. So like you said, hey, what would you think of the offense? BYU will cash in, needs to cash in at a higher rate in the red zone with touchdowns. Other than that, though, I thought BYU played a pretty stinking good first game for new offense, new defense, new coaching staff. What did you think of Ty Detmer's debut as well? Loved it. It just felt so right to see him wearing a BYU polo with a headset on. Like It just was like, <laughs> totally. yes. There are some things you see and you just automatically get a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling about. That was one of those things for me. He, um, he just seemed to be having a lot of fun, too, at times. Oh, and Kalani he, was having the most fun. He, like, chest bumped or that, side That was <laughs> awesome. After tie. the touchdown yeah. pass to Colby Pearson, like, they enjoyed the moment. And that was fun to watch. And then Ty Detmer smiling at Jake Oldroyd before yep. he took the kick and saying, hey, just like uh, we do down in Texas, man. <laughs> the, the previous cool. coach um, referenced a moment from his first game where he was booed when he didn't go for it. And he, he always held that um, right. as a sore spot. They, so it was just nice to see some nice raw emotion from – like the, the relatability of Kalani Stocky is this. Oh, he acts like I would act, sort of. Yeah, exactly. 
therefore, he's more likable. Therefore, if he struggles, you'll give him the benefit of the doubt. His mentality of game day is, look, we've put in the preparation all week long, and so it's just time to let the guys do their thing during the game, and I'm going to manage things, but I'm going to enjoy the moment as well. I loved how he he doesn't. They always turn it to him. So how are you enjoying your first game? And he's like, it's not about me. It's about my boys. Yeah, it's about them. Like he, it's cool. He just he just wants to cut them loose, is what he says. Cut them loose. Let them let them go do their thing, and when the game starts. Oh, it's so fun to have it started. I know you guys finally just can't get enough of it. I saw you guys running around in your BYU jammies this it was morning. A long, dreary summer. <laughs> So, so long. And too much Big 12. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Hey, what's going to be on the show today? Uh, We're going to talk about the dynamic of the rivalry, the tone, and how it is already shifting because of Kalani Satake and what he is doing, the verbiage he is using, and the background he has with the University of Utah. It's it's just already shifted yeah. in a to a more respectful tone, at least from the coach's perspective. Yeah, it'll be weird to to see what it's like in the stadium. I'm yeah, sure. I mean, it's going to be nuts and crazy. Not all the fans will get the memo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've never You've... felt more violated than at a BYU Utah game in both stadiums. <laughs> by the way, it's it's pretty scary. It's a unique experience for sure <laughs> yeah i'm reporting on the sideline and uh blaine fowler who's going to join us today who played in the rivalry he's undefeated against the Utes, by the way said oh. yeah good luck with that man good luck with that <laughs> good luck hope you don't die wear a helmet <laughs> what else anything else on the show i don't know is there anything else on the show oh yeah what Be- jamal williams called his performance Against Arizona. Oh, what? Holy cow. That 200 something, 200 yards? 162. Should have been 200 yards. But some penalties. He was was fantastic. He did not use that same line of uh, adjective. (laughs) Didn't he? Okay, I'm excited. We'll we'll tell you what he said. Plus, Hannah Clark of the 10th ranked women's soccer team, the goalkeeper. They beat Utah yesterday. Utah 2 0. Game with uh, SMU coming up Thursday on BYU TV, BYU Radio. And then they play Ohio State next Monday. Oh, my heavens. Big league. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, great show as usual. And uh, congratulations on the big win. I know you had a lot to do with it. Yeah, we did it. We did it. You done. Richard and I did it. You done Karma pulled it United. off. You did great. Okay, gentlemen, be good. Have a nice show today and go <laughs> shave and shine. Thanks, Peace, Matt. Peace out. Peace out, yo. That, uh, that was a great game. It's just fun to see all of the new, just everybody doing their job, everybody liking it. It was kind of close. Come on. we got to watch out for that next time, for heaven's sakes. Hey, as you know on the show, we like to um, – we, we we got a lot of work we got to talk about. And we're here to give you health advisories. We're here to help you live longer and lead healthier lives. One story we got to tell you is about watch out for your cheese, folks. Watch out for your cheese. A man was arrested Wednesday after police said he became violent when his wife made him a grilled cheese sandwich with three slices of cheese when he requested only two slices of cheese. James DePaola, 55, was screaming at his wife in such a fashion that uh, that spit was hitting her face, according to Athens-Clark County Police. Their 12-year-old daughter called 911 and her mother's cell phone saying dad pulled the phone out of the wall. James DePaola admitted to pulling the phone from the wall because he did not want his wife to call 911 for a stupid reason. However, you know, be careful with cheese. When it comes to cheese, please 
Make every slice count. It's a great point. When it comes to cheese, folks, don't waste it. It's not going to be around forever, you know. Eventually, you're not going to have cheese. It doesn't grow on trees. No, it comes from cows. Have you finished your procrastination report? Your Today is procrastination day. Free yourself from procrastination. I want to just know how you've come and if you're ready to just play your procrastination piece. Um, tomorrow I will be, if if I'm being honest. Are you really being honest by saying tomorrow you will be? Or are you just saying that to procrastinate? You know, some of the best work comes from procrastinators, Matt. Says a procrastinator. Never mind. By the way, you've been having a really good show, and I think it has something to do with the smell of those cinnamon rolls. I know, don't you think? I can hardly wait, because when the show's done, we are going to rifle through those things. Mmm! So good. Hey, as we wrap up the show, you know we like to talk heroes, and our hero today is Ashton Kutcher, of all people. What? I know. Fourth graders at Des Moines Elementary School got some big news Thursday. Hi, I'm Ashton Kutcher, and I'm funding all the classroom projects in the state of Iowa. The Iowa native Hollywood actor Flash funded more than 100 DonorsChoose.org classroom projects in Iowa. Teachers set up accounts to help fund classroom projects or get supplies. In Iowa, 651 projects totaling more than $446,000 have been funded. Those projects have helped 56,000 students during the 2015-2016 year so far. Kutcher specifically helped support 131 projects at 100 schools in Iowa. The movement is all part of the hashtag Best Best School Day initiative. More than 60 celebrities, business leaders, athletes all participated across the country to flash fund the accounts. A total of $14 million was committed to classrooms across the country Thursday to help fund 12,000 projects. So Ashton Kutcher, you are the hero of the day. You and the other uh, stars and business leaders who are donating so much money. $14 million to help the kids of Iowa. Pretty powerful stuff. And actually, the kids nationwide, about 400000 of that in Iowa. Again, it doesn't take a ton of money to be the hero. Sometimes all you need to do is just have a willing heart, and that's why we bring you the show, to give you the information you, knew, you need to know. And hopefully, you can then use your own good free agency and will to make it happen. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. Check us out on Facebook, on tune, uh, iTunes, and tune in. And also, you can just look us up at uh, byuradio.org. We'll be back again tomorrow. Until then, take care of each other and make it a great day.